When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. That's greenlight.com slash ACAST. This episode is sponsored by R.W. Knutson Organic Just Tart Cherry Juice, a welcome addition to anyone's sleep routine. Pace Case, if you know me, and you do, mm-hmm. you know that I'm yep. working all hours of the day, all hours of the night. Mm-hmm. So the sleep that I do get has to be very good sleep. And I'm always looking for ways to up my sleep routine. Sometimes I'll read a book to go to sleep. Sometimes mm-hmm. I'll- I want a bachelor. Uh, that book keeps me very awake. It's very engaging. That never puts me to sleep. Mm. I will sometimes just put down my cell phone after a long day of looking at a screen. It's nice to get some time away from the screen. I also will incorporate some R.W. Knutson Organic Just Tart Cherry Juice. It truly makes you go to sleep a little easier. It's the thing you need to help you drift off into the dreamland. Mm. As more and more people are looking to prioritize sleep, organic Just Tart Cherry is having a moment thanks to Tart Cherry's potential sleep-related benefits and potential to aid in muscle recovery when you get those gains-like clues. We're seeing this in the viral Sleepy Girl mocktail trend on social media. R.W. Knutson has a whole lineup of natural juices with zero added sugar, so you can feel good about adding them to your wellness routine. It's all about celebrating those daily wins. Organic Just Tart Cherry Juice is made from tart cherries, which may help you get a better night's sleep because they have natural melatonin. R.W. Knudsen crushes only 100% real ingredients, so you can crush everything you do. Pick up a bottle at your local grocery store today. It's the Game of Roses. Welcome to the Game of Roses. Welcome to Game of Roses. This is Pace Case. This is Bachelor Clues. And today we are honored and humbled to be speaking with both halves of the Dear Shandy podcast. We're, of course, talking about the 17th best rose quotient of all time, a Fimprose recipient, an opera singer, and someone that the Dark Lord himself described as the most intriguing person to ever appear on The Bachelor. Please welcome co-host of the Dear Shandy podcast, Bachelor Season 18 All-Star <laughs> Charlene Joint. Thank you for being with us today. Wait, Woo. where did you rank me on players of all time? Where was that? What's that? What did you, you ranked me as what I want to hear that one more time. <laughs> You're the 17th best rose yeah, quotient in the history of the game. 
a Fimpro's recipient. But we have some more stats here as well. You are ranked 132 all time on the Instagram big chart at 148,000 Instagram followers. You're right between Lauren Jones of Bachelor Season 24 and Eric Bigger of Bachelorette Season 13. Wow. You got to be company. Gotta, nice. You got you to wow. take Bigger out. <laughs> Just buy, buy 2,000 I mean, followers. mine is shrinking a little bit every day, so it'll just go a little, you know, I think I'll be 135 by the time this airs. <laughs> Becoming yeah, less relevant by the second. To provide you with a, a target <laughs> to take out. I feel like I just revealed uh, a lot about all... my personality that that was my takeaway. Yeah. <laughs> We also welcome Charlene's husband and the other co-host of the Dear Shandy podcast, Andy Levine, Instagram handle at Machine Levine at 5,351 followers, ranked 358th between Bachelorette Season 12's Nick Sharp Mm. and Bachelorette Season 15's Matthew Spraggins. Oh, that's not too bad. Season 15. That's recent. I don't know. I'm really moving up. I'm trying to remember who those people are. He was a very, very monumental contestant. I think they were both night one guys. But, uh, (laughs) which is okay. We're now seeing, obviously, Grocery Store Joe doing great things with a night Mm -hmm. one guy status. Yeah. Not everyone, night one is bad. There's still hope. It's true. It's true. Andy, I have a question for you right off the top. Is your Instagram handle a reference to Jack Lemmon's character in Glengarry Glen Ross? Um, It is yes and no. Okay. Yes. yes, that's where I got it from. Well, thank you guys so much for being with us today. We definitely want to get to season 18, which was obviously historic, super important. Uh, the last season of the modern era just before paradise began. But before we get into all that, we want to get to know both of you a little bit more with some background, some history, some questions that we usually ask people when we do a segment we call Welcome to the Pit. And we always start off by asking where you grew up and what your media intake was like as children. Hmm. Should I go first? So I was born and raised in Ottawa, Canada. <laughs> raised in a suburb called Canada. And media intake, let me think. I was allowed to watch TV after school. And it, when I was a child, it was Sailor Moon. <laughs> and when I was in my teens, it was Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And I was obsessed, right? I was obsessed with Buffy and I had a Buffy the Vampire Slayer website. I was also huge into video games and I had a few websites dedicated to video game characters. I was a total weirdo. Wait, what do you mean you had a Buffy website? <laughs> I, <laughs> exactly. I, I say that like I should know what that means. <laughs> I'm still not really sure what that website was. It was just me playing around in Photoshop and making graphics with photos of Buffy the Vampire Slayer characters. It was called the Slayer Sphere. It was oh. the Slayersphere.com. And yeah, this is what I did with my free time in my teens. What were some of your favorite video games? Oh, I'm an RPG girl. So I played every Zelda. Final Fantasy. Final Fantasy VII for me is like, it's my religion. Like, I'm Couldn't obsessed. agree more. Yeah, it's the best. I got the remake the day it came out, and Andy just stopped seeing me for around two months. This is true. <laughs> that was the first game I ever put a hundred hours into. Same. No, actually, of, you know? exactly that you're aware of because it's ninety nine ninety nine, right? You can't exactly. actually reach a hundred hours. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> did you breed the gold Chocobo? That's the question. Oh, gosh. I did everything. I got all the materia. I got all the Chocobos. Like, yes, I did it all. You beat both weapons. 
Yes. <laughs> Congratulations. I did it all. <laughs> but now look, I don't want to age myself, but I was probably much older than you, a college student at the time. So I had to just, mm. I had nothing to do Easier all day except do. play this game. Exactly. <laughs> I, I, there was a lot of negotiating with my parents to put in those hours, but yeah. yeah, the best game ever. Did you cry when Aerith died or Aerith, depending on who you talk to? <laughs> no, I, I did not cry at Final <laughs> Fantasy VII, but maybe it was the closest I've ever come. Okay. <laughs> It tugged on a few heartstrings. No one knows what we're talking about. I'm already lost. <laughs> but well, what what kind of stuff did you grow up watching, Andy? Um, let's see. So Saturday morning cartoons, a lot of uh, Smurfs. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got some Magilla Gorilla in there. Um, a lot of like um, video game spinoff cartoons. Like I believe I watched the Pac-Man cartoons and the oh, Space God. Invader cartoon. We're talking. This is old school. I and, watched uh, that as well, yeah. You did? Do you, you oh, really yeah. remember that? Yeah, the Pac-Man cartoon was one I watched every Saturday morning. I loved Amazing. it. Amazing. This That's actually existed. Can I ask what year you were born? We don't 1976. Have, you can cut this. Oh, so he's right between us. Why That's were you you're, you're, you're too... too uh, oh, well, I was too old to be watching the Pac-Man cartoon. <laughs> so. I was about I to accuse young, him. I, I did the math I had first. a younger sister as well, and so she and I would watch cartoons in the day and whatever, you know, which oh. is why I wound up watching a lot of kind of... Uh, like Gem and the Holograms and She-Ra. Those were her yeah. favorite cartoons. So oh, she yeah. would watch G.I. Joe and Transformers with me. I would watch Gem and She-Ra with her. It all worked out. Oh, wow. Wait, Good. Andy, where were you watching this Pac-Man show? I was watching it on my television. Where else <laughs> would I, mean, I watch where it? where did you grow up? <laughs> <laughs> I was watching it on my iPad. Um, I, grew up in New- wow. I grew up in New York City. In addition to that, uh, some formative years were spent in pizza parlors playing um, Pole Position mm-hmm. and Space Invaders and um, Dig Dug was a favorite. Yeah. And um, what else we got there? He's a fan of the arcade. Oh, um, what's the Galaga? I was, I'm very good. Still yeah. very good at Galaga. And also day, the, uh, the, the most memorable TV movie I've ever seen is The, the, the Day After, which still, still to this day gives me nightmares. Yeah, it's it's revered as one of the craziest nuclear holocaust movies ever made. Yeah, it's a good one. It shaped me. All right, so video games, a nuclear holocaust movie, some Sailor Moon, a little anime thrown in there. What was the first time either Buffy one of you websites. guys... Yeah, some Buffy websites. <laughs> what was the first time either of you guys remember being exposed to reality television? Survivor. For me, it was Survivor. Season one? Yeah, it was season one of Survivor, and fast forward, I actually I stopped watching after that first season. I think my next brush with reality TV was the first Temptation Island, and then I didn't get into The Bachelor until Ooh, I just later. watched that, the original. Yeah, isn't so good. It, right? It's good, right? Isn't it crazy that, that, that was two thousand one? Yeah, that's really that is a, that is a quality show, and Charlene yeah. kept trying to convince me for years mm-hmm. to watch that, and I was like, no, that's too trashy. Yeah. And then I, w- I was scintillated. I could, I, I could not stop watching. Wanted to binge the whole season. Yeah, you can't believe it's a show when you're watching it. Yeah, it's, it's too good to be true. Did you ever consider going on it as a couple? Oh, I don't think a single couple watches Temptation Island and doesn't think about going on Temptation Island. <laughs> <laughs> like who would break first and all that stuff. Right. Who would break first? Who would break first? There, yeah, or at all, or at all. There's a lot of discussion about this. Thought we can get into that some other time. Um, I actually was the real world, the uh, MTV real real world season one, 1994. Thank you. You're good. Is that the one you're that, talking about? 
That is the one I'm talking about. Eric yep. Nice, Julie from Alabama. Just so you know, I, I had a t- very tangential experience with it. I was not really absorbed by it, but I was aware of its existence, and I did sort of sporadically watch s- some of it. So I don't remember any of the characters. That was my like first real introduction to it as well, and I remember just being mesmerized. I rewatched that season. They would rerun it on MTV, and I watched it every time it was on because it really felt like this giant shift in media, like this was something brand new, even though mm-hmm. it wasn't. Even though it started in America in the 1970s on PBS, it felt like, to me at least, it was starting in 1994 on MTV. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, all right, so that's interesting. Those are like some some pretty historically important things that you guys had your entry points to the whole reality genre. <laughs> Did you, at that time, or even now, consider reality to be like a less important form of media than scripted TV or anything else? Like, was it trashy to you and just kind of a throwaway junk type media? I think at the time, yes, mostly because that was sort of the narrative around it, I feel Mm -hmm. like. Not necessarily because I enjoyed it any less or took it any less seriously, but I I would say yes, and I'm I'm ashamed (laughs) to admit that, honestly. (laughs) How about you? I I found it what I I did not like it. (laughs) Um, and I (laughs) (laughs) because it felt to me like it was all inane conversations like mm-hmm. none of it felt like mm-hmm. i didn't care enough and then i felt like when it got interesting is when they kind of pushed the drama the trashy drama angle so yeah. i thought it was like when it when it when it was kind of entertaining i felt it was a little fake and when it wasn't entertaining which was the majority i felt it was just insipid like i did not enjoy <laughs> listening to these mi- mildly vacuous characters just drone on endlessly about stuff that didn't seem interesting to me is that is that too harsh <laughs> no I, everyone's reaction to everything is valid did your positions on reality tv evolve as you started to watch more and more and went on it yeah. and went on it um yeah i think that for me the bachelor well i do you want to know shall we discuss my entry point with the bachelor franchise of course whatever you want (laughs) for me for years it was a guilty pleasure that i indulged in privately on monday nights i would go to step class i would get a salad at gourmet garage and then i would go to my studio apartment up a fifth floor walk up and just eat my salad and watch the bachelor what was the first season of the bachelor that you watched if i may ask I would say I started getting into it like I'm pretty basic on that front. The Jason Mesnick season, you know, with that big ending. Oh, season 13, the beginning of the modern mm. era. Very yeah. important. A pivotal season. Yeah. I didn't really dabble too much before that. And even after that, I sort of came and went. Like, for example, I didn't see um, Ali Fedotowski's season. Like, there's just some blind spots in there. Like, there's a couple that I didn't really. Mm-hmm. They just didn't grab me. But then I would say more into my college years, especially when I went and lived abroad. It was sort of my connection to to the U.S. <laughs> and in general, mm. I think from the beginning, like I'm, I am Canadian and my mother is Chinese. Something about The Bachelor from the get-go struck me as super American. It really stood out that way to me. So it's kind of like this cultural culture shock mm. in watching it, you know, and just watching how people behave, who look and sound kind of like me, but aren't like me. What uh, What were your first social media accounts 
or what was your first exposure to social media? Uh, oh dear, I think I was MySpace. Oh no, Friendster. Hmm. Yes. Friendster. Wow. Yeah, Friendster. I had a Friendster. <laughs> you had a that Friendster. Was, I had a Friendster too. <laughs> yeah, I had a Friendster. I had a MySpace. I had all that shit. Are they still there? Like, do I still have a Friendster account? You still have a MySpace. That's still like a, a company that exists, and they tried to turn themselves into a kind of music promotion vehicle, but it's like still around. Friendster, I think, is dead for all time, though. Okay, so so if you had a Friendster account, it no longer exists. I think, except on okay. like Wayback Machine or something. <laughs> you sound I'm sure the, the image of your homepage <laughs> is somewhere in the data stream, and it can be wow. mined. So I have a MySpace account out there somewhere. That's kind of weird. Yeah. I mean, I exclusively used MySpace to meet girls, just full disclosure. <laughs> I was, was I was an early adopter of online dating with MySpace. A friend of mine that I've known, you know, almost my entire life, he met a girl on MySpace, dated her casually for a very short amount of time, and they have a child together through that coupling. Wow. And they refer Ooh. to their child, who is now like 15 years old, as a MySpace baby, kind of jokingly. <laughs> but it's also like an interesting snapshot to be like, holy shit, like that was even a thing. MySpace babies exist. And they existed wow. like in a very short sliver of time for about a year, you know? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I mean, that's more special than a Tinder baby. <laughs> oh, there's probably like a like hundred million there's Tinder so babies. so many Tinder babies. <laughs> there's probably yeah. more unknown Tinder babies than there are known MySpace babies. <laughs> that's a cute story, actually. Yeah, that is really cute. <laughs> my intro was, was Facebook. I'm also basic on that front. <laughs> Kids. When you guys see new social media platforms coming out like TikTok and essentially every generation now is going to have its own social media platform, its own manner of communicating parasocially that the older generations are going to be like, I'm not doing that. I have multiple friends who are like, I'm not doing TikTok. And I'm like, then you're dead. You need to just step aside. But uh, <laughs> how do you guys feel about each new iteration of social media platforms and each new kind of iteration of how entrenched we become in it? how much of a hold it has over contemporary American society or even global society as more and more of the globe becomes connected. Ooh. We're this, not big fans. Yeah. If I'm honest. <laughs> I think, I think I'm that guy that you refer to as being dead. I, I died. <laughs> You're like, I, I just realized I'm dead. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I think I died right around LinkedIn. That was it. I was like, oh. It's over for me. Yeah, I, I find TikTok really, it, TikTok scares me. Just the sort of like never-ending rabbit hole, I guess, and how it feeds off the fact that it's a never-ending rabbit hole. Well, at first, at first, TikTok to me was just like suspiciously young girls dancing half naked. That's all I saw of TikTok. Now, apparently, it's like a real media company. But um, we know nothing of TikTok. We know we have to get involved with TikTok. Yeah, we keep being told we and have to do TikTok. I actually want to know what is what is a, I called it a TikTok. I sounded like I was 106 years old, but I called it a TikTok when you <laughs> do a TikTok. What is, is it? You, a tick? What is it called to is do it a, a TikTok? Talk? Is it yeah, a tick? I, I think that's right. I think you can say I'm doing a TikTok. I think that's oh, right. Oh, you can say that. You don't say a TikTok yeah. video. It's a TikTok. I think either works. But you I, wouldn't say an Instagram. You wouldn't you wouldn't say a Twitter, a tweet. Twitter has tweets. Instagram has posts. TikTok has TikToks. Or I guess it's more common that it's like a, if you make like jewelry, it's like jewelry talk. If mm. you do equestrian, it's equestrian mm. talk. It's whatever the it's kind of like Instagram is like that, too. You know, quilting gram, pug right. life, pug gram, whatever. 
Hmm. I mean, not that I look at yeah. pug dogs. Gotta get Instagram, into but. <laughs> relationship advice talk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Rolls right off the tongue. Charlene, did you have an Instagram when you went on the show in 2013? I did, but I had no idea what it would become. I was introduced to Instagram by a guy I dated in around 2010, 2011. And he was like, hey, there's this new app. And so we went on it and just followed each other. And then we broke up. And then I ended up meeting another boyfriend who lived in the UK. And I introduced him to it. And then we just followed each other. So it was private. And it was just basically us uploading Mm -hmm. photos for each other to see. And it remained private for a really long time, even after we broke up. And then after I had filmed The Bachelor, but before it started airing, someone, but I forget who, told me that I should make it public because I could get a lot of followers. And I was like, why would I do that? What's that good for? (laughs) (laughs) Good question. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I can't pretend that I was ahead of the curve on that. I had no Mm. clue. (laughs) That's fascinating. You just needed someone, you needed to date someone who told you to make it. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know that the, I mean, my, I feel like my season really was the cusp of all that. Like it I, absolutely was. Yeah. It's, your, your season was the last one before what we call the Paradise era. Juan Pablo Galvez's season 18. You guys didn't know that Paradise was right around the corner because season one would happen right after that. And then <laughs> that essentially fueled the Instagram rush of all those players who started getting millions of followers off their secondary appearances in Paradise. Do you remember if there were any players who were talking about social media None. when you guys were shooting your season? No, Not at all. I, ours was wow. really the first season, I think, where people got a meaningful number of followers. Like, of course, there was Desiree's season and Sean Lowe's season. But I think that... Th- at that point, it was just, I, they were like lower numbers. I feel like ours was the first season where someone would go on the show and get six-figure followers. Do you know what I mean? I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. You can yeah. tell me I'm wrong about that. I'm sure Desiree had plenty, but mm-hmm. it just wasn't really, I feel like not only was it not discussed, but the thought of what it could mean and how it could change your life was such, like it was so off oh, yeah, on totally. the horizon that no one was discussing it. Totally. Instagram had been out for about three years but when you guys were shooting, but like the influencer culture was really just starting to build. You were starting to see big people like obviously the Kardashians and stuff were able to monetize it, but it still seemed, I think, like this pie in the sky, like only super fam- famous people could do it. Micro influencers weren't a thing at all, obviously. But you guys did have on your season Andy Dorfman, who we we can't find this data. We don't know who the first Bachelor player was to hit a million Instagram followers. It might have been her. It might have mm. been Caitlin Bristow. But it was somebody from in that era for sure. Yeah, I feel like Andy stands It could have been chance. Andy, yeah. yeah. That makes sense. It does make sense. She was also one of the first to start doing ads on her Instagram. And I remember her getting a lot of flack for it. Amazing. Which is hilarious mm. now. Yeah. She got a lot of hate for She advertised like a curling wand or something. Something totally normal. And you of, wouldn't bat an a eye A lot of today. diet. Uh, what were they? Uh, t- oh, no. She didn't do. I don't know if she did flat tummy tea. Flat tummy tea? Yeah, you always com- confuse sugar bear hair with sugar bear hair, right? Flat tummy tea. <laughs> <laughs> Andy thinks there are diet gummies, but I keep having. I mean, I assume they wrong. have to work because everyone's talking about them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That sugar bear hair care is like the thing you most know Bachelor Spawn Con for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think you might be right. It might be Andy Dorfman. That's so crazy that she got flack for the the curling iron ad. Yeah. what a pioneer, right? <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, let's get into your season. The Bachelor is Juan Pablo. When did the producers tell you that it was going to be him? Oh, so I did not think it was going to be Juan Pablo, first of all. I thought it was going to be Chris Siegfried. He was my crush from that season. You've mentioned that many times. Mm. Yeah, and actually we had them on our love fest, and I mentioned that he was my crush, and Andy's like, okay, okay, we get it. Yeah. So, and then I thought it could be, well, to be honest, it was right after that, I think that was the year that he was announced as the winner and Reality Steve had gotten that season wrong. And so it was this big hoopla. And did they, did they not introduce Juan Pablo as The Bachelor that same night? We have no idea. Bachelor there's, clues. We know Come a on, lot. don't drop the we, ball. We know a lot about a lot of things, but there's we still don't have 100% <laughs> locked in information about like the little specifics. But <laughs> I remember the women tell or the men tell all there were players who were wearing Juan Pablo shirts during oh, that wow. so I think it was definitely mm. after that point okay oh but yeah I would be surprised with the pick as well since he had he was the lowest ranked next bachelor they had had for a while yeah possibly ever at that point yeah except for people who weren't ranked at all yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> there were a bunch I- of bachelors who weren't players in the in the very early oh in seasons. the beginning yeah but i think it's at bob that point Guinea was not that far oh, yeah okay. bob guinea i think was sixth or seventh place if i remember right really i didn't know that but yeah, yeah juan pablo wasn't even on the radar and i believe it was announced like on afr or just somewhere in that same episode and i was shocked just because i believed the reality steve take and i just couldn't believe it and then the next morning, I got a call from the casting producer with whom I'd been chatting, and I'd already flown to LA at that part at that point. And she said, "So, what do you think? Like, do you still want to come on?" <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, uh, "Yeah, I guess." I mean, like, what is your reaction to that? It's a guy you didn't want, or or potentially at least not the one that you wanted the most. Does that color your decision to to keep going in this process at all? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It, it's it was just such a it came so out of left field for me and also at that point I think I had like a week and a half's notice it was it was very soon that I would be flying to LA to start filming like casting weekend was done and I had a reasonable idea of who would be bachelor and then a backup based on that I thought my, the backup would be Brooks like everyone else oh, and you all you also had a crush on I never really had a crush on he's lovely though he's a great he is friend. lovely yeah People wanted me to date. Brooks I remember having a crush on Brooks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. someone did. <laughs> I think a lot of people yeah. have crushes Only on Brooks. Her. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to give a little bit of context for your season when you started shooting. This is what was going on uh, around the time of your shooting. The air dates for your season were January sixth through March tenth of twenty fourteen. Your shooting dates were late September through November of twenty thirteen. And the big news of that year had been the Supreme Court legalizes gay marriage. George Zimmerman is acquitted in the Trayvon Martin murder trial. Obamacare goes into effect. We had the Boston Marathon bombing. Snowden leaks information proving that we live in a surveillance state that gives the U.S. government unlimited power to illegally spy on all of us at any time. And perhaps most importantly, Sean Lowe and Catherine Giudici's wedding airs during your season on television. <laughs> just for some context of, of what we were all going through at the time what you were going through as you're in this weird experience shooting in a bubble allowed to talk to no one have no cell phones no outside communication 
Thanks. And uh, so let's get into your night one. You get no video intro package in the main document. Did they shoot one for you? No, I was living in Germany. Uh, yeah, my apartment was in Germany at the time, and it was a little too complicated. I think I was a complicated contestant from day one, well into the season as well. I was just always logistically complicated. Right. <laughs> yeah. So they didn't even bother. I don't even, I think they sort of like poked and asked. And I was like, well, if you want to fly to Germany, you can watch me sing in rehearsal or watch a performance, but good luck with that. And so they just didn't even bother. So you were even, but we break down the game into four audiences that all players are basically playing against four audiences. The first is the lead. The second is the other players. The third is the producers. And the fourth is us, the viewing public, Bachelor Nation. And so the third audience game you're playing here already from the beginning is it kind of hard to get like, I'm not like other players. If you want to come shoot a video intro with me, you're going to have to go to Germany. It is, it's funny. I don't, I don't think I really meant to, but I definitely was difficult. And even when I had agreed to go on the show and it was those few days where you're trapped in a hotel room before night one, uh, an executive producer came to my room and was like, we, were, we weren't sure about you. We weren't sure if you were going to... We're so happy you came, but we just weren't... Like, it was just tough, you know? It, it was... and We have a few backup Charlene's <laughs> in the holding pen. Well, I did make a joke. I was like, you don't have any other half-Asian opera singers waiting in the yeah. wings, and he laughed pretty hard at that. But it's... Yeah, I think that... I will say they, they did everything they could to get me on, including getting me uh, an O-1 visa. Because I'm not oh, wow. American. And so it was, oh, maybe it was a B something. It was some visa. I think it was O one. one So yeah, I was, I was complicated. An outstanding contestant on a reality show. <laughs> yes, yes. The, the O-1 is the Extraordinary Alien visa? A sponsored visa? Yeah, extra, Extraordinary Ability. And, and even with, into, after the show and when I would get O-1 visas for singing at the border, they would be like, so what's your Extraordinary Ability? <laughs> <laughs> I can Did you ever see lie about you. that? Yeah, wow. exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I never lied. I'm too boring. <laughs> but yeah, Canadian. Was, they, they, they did a lot to make me come on that show, honestly. I, I guess I should be flattered. I don't know. They, they should have done a lot. Mm. Yeah, you're a huge get. <laughs> I don't know about that. Um, you were the 26th and penultimate limo exit just ahead of what we called the Omega, the last one I did of Andy Dorfman. <laughs> the, the, you perform what we call a little blandy with a flourish about where you're from, that you're an opera singer. Were you actually in the limo with Dorfman? Yes, I was in the limo with... Last? I was with Claire, with Andy, a girl with cowboy boots, mm-hmm. and I don't remember the, the, the last person. But I remember Clara and her pregnant belly. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, already I was that contestant that was at every moment, what the hell am I doing here? Like, kind of one foot out the door sort of situation. And then I, and Andy was really my barometer early on. I was like, oh, another normal person. And Claire, who now I think is just lovely, but at the time I was like, what have I done? <laughs> you know? 
<laughs> was Claire? Did she tell you in the limo that the the no, belly she had no. on was fake? Or oh, she, she committed. She committed all the way. Shit. Yeah. What? Yeah. It was a oh full role play tot. That's yeah. a, we call that when a when a player dresses up, we call it a tot, which stands for trick or treat. Um, <laughs> oh. And she had one of the the most iconic ones in history. Obviously, iconic. Yes. <laughs> I think probably the most cowboy iconic. boots would be too, but oh yeah, not memorable enough. No. <laughs> When did Claire uh, fess up that she wasn't pregnant? I think I think into the evening her belly was suddenly not there anymore or Got something. It. Yeah, she had a it was a lot. Honestly, that first night is a blur, and you it, you're kind of blacked out the whole night. Mm-hmm. You don't really know what's going on. It happens really fast, and you're drinking a little too much, and everyone's so pretty and intimidating. It's a lot. Speaking of drinking too much, <laughs> when you guys get into the mansion after all the limo exits. The producers, we assume, give you a role that we call the first responder, which is when the bachelor comes in and he's about to do his inauguration speech, there's always one player who hands him a drink. That is you in yeah. this season, 18. Did the producers set that up? Yes, did they pull I did you not want to do that. I did not want to do that. Alon Gale told wow, me to... a forced first responder. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't want to do anything. I didn't want to read a date card. If you watch that season, I never read a date card because I did not want the extra bit of airtime. <laughs> Charlene was constantly hiding that season. I, yeah. You can actually, there are shots of her literally trying to get behind somebody when the camera's on. Yeah. If you ever see group shots of people walking on a group date, I'm always in the back row. Yeah. It wasn't until the she, very end. She's yeah. like Waldo. And I used to joke that producers Waldo. were like, <laughs> were like an invisibility cloak. Like yeah. if I were talking to camera guys or producers, I could not be on camera. And so I would always sort of maneuver until they would scold me and they'd be like, okay, Charlene, get back out there. You've got to do your TV. Yeah, I was known for it. No bed until you do your TV. (laughs) That is fascinating. (laughs) I mean, one of our mantras is get as much screen time as you can while you're in the game to boost your Instagram followers and all that kind of stuff. You're doing the exact opposite and it wound up working. You were playing the same strategy you were playing against the third audience when you're like, come shoot me in Germany if you want. You're basically (laughs) doing the same thing to the fourth audience by being like, I'm not here. You're never gonna see me in the show. <laughs> You're like the guy from the from the office. I don't remember the actor's name. I'm sure you do, Chad. I feel like you think Chad is all knowing. Chad, you know everything about everything. I, I, I know a, you do. I got a big blind spot for the American Office. I haven't seen any of it. No, no, no. I mean, the, I've, I've seen enough of it. You know what I mean? But like, I don't. I don't no, know. No, the that the well. movie. The movie. Um, what's the movie where the guy makes he acts like he doesn't want his job at all? Is it called The Office? Oh, Office Space. Oh, yeah. Office, Office Space. space. Oh, oh, Andy. Yes. Andy. Oh, man. Oh, oh my what God. A fail. I'm sorry. Sorry about that. <laughs> anyway, getting back to the original comment, so, you're like the guy from Office Space, the movie. Yeah, he's hypnotized and. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I. I too chill. I definitely found the cameras really, like, a lot. It was really hard to be yourself with them on you. And it sounds I, like a lot. Yeah, I found myself just sort of wanting to avoid them. At all costs. And so things, so voluntary things like reading a date card, offering a drink to the lead, or sitting in a girl chat. I never, ever, ever, ever volunteered for those. In fact, I was the annoying contestant that was like, I don't want to do that. Mm. And until later on into the season where you don't have a choice. But yes, to answer your question, Chad, I was indeed handed a glass of something. I do not think it was alcohol, or maybe it was just for show, because Juan Pablo did not drink. And Alan Gale handed it to me, and... Mm said you're going to hand this to him when he arrives for a toast and i and i literally said can you give it to someone else oh and he said no you're doing it 
And that was wow. it. Fascinating. And then I was wow. so annoyed when it aired and Twitter was like, this bitch, she's trying to get in his good graces, handing him a drink. I was like, I didn't even oh, want to. That's so People sad. watching don't understand. Like, at least from our perspective, players have almost no choice in any of this. Even the lead very rarely has a choice in who's getting a rose or a one-on-one date or any of that stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I think people have more of an awareness today, especially with the help of podcasts like yours. But definitely back then, they thought that I was like angling to get, get give him a drink, oh which God. is now it's just hilarious. But at the time, it was really upsetting. And actually watching the entire season back was upsetting in, in that sense, because I care so much about being understood. Yeah. And so many of my decisions were not my own. And so it was frustrating. Yeah, and you're also not. It's you're not. You're like the antithesis of a ham. So yeah, like you've really obviously chosen the in, inappropriate careers. But have, that's another conversation. I have totally chosen an inappropriate <laughs> career. I can. Yeah, admit Charlene that. does not like the spotlight. Yeah. So she's an opera singer and a reality TV star. Yeah. <laughs> Way, way to go. this, Andy was like, you're going on Game of Roses. You have to do that. <laughs> I'm like pushing her with like a, like a broom into the room. Yeah. <laughs> that dishwasher wasn't even real. <laughs> there is a little partial truth to that. To be honest, I don't really do podcasts to talk about my experience anymore because I just, there's only so many times you can talk about the experience, but you guys are different. You, you come at it oh, from a different angle. Yeah, thank you. I'm like, we only have 22 I more pages of notes. It. So <laughs> yeah. it's going to go very uh, quick. <laughs> next on night one. <laughs> we have all the time in the world. It's actually but, a nice walk down memory lane. By the way, can I say how amazing... I, I am amazed that a man, a bachelor, could get through that season without drinking. That's so impressive. It totally sheds a new light on him. It was actually a, something that he and Claire bonded over because she also wasn't... She doesn't drink. Yeah, she was really? not a big drinker hmm. either, so they had that in common. I mean, did you guys not find that impressive mm. that Juan Pablo got through that whole season without a drink? I do. This is astounding. I mean, it's news to me because The Bachelor... I mean, the show, what you see in the document, they always present that everybody drinks all the time. Mm-hmm. Right. And now you, you learn here and there or you even see like on season 24 Hannah Ann Sluss night one famously has a flute of champagne and when people have slowed down the video not us but other people and we've just watched it of course uh, she <laughs> takes a sip but the champagne never touches her lips throughout the uh, night she's fake drinking wow wow so you see like this gets incorporated into strategies but to actually hear like Juan Pablo never had a drink I mean I just recently rewatched her entire season it definitely doesn't seem like that from what mm. you're watching. You know? Yeah. I think it's possible he had a sip of like the toast drink and then switched over to something else. Mm-hmm. I know that that was in the house common knowledge and we were all fully aware of it. Not in this like, yeah, let's like everyone be are a huge part of the, the ceremony of it. Yeah. Is you're cheersing with alcohol at every round. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And you are encouraged to. <laughs> During your one-on-one time with... Juan Pablo that night you have this innocuous conversation about not speaking Spanish and eating too much in Germany and then he comes back with the FIMP despite you revealing in an ITM that you thought you'd feel more immediate chemistry you're obviously surprised by this move and perhaps even skeptical what was that moment like to win one of the most exalted prizes in the game? <laughs> exalted. The FIMP, by the way, is what we call the first impression rose. Just for, yeah. for anyone who may be listening that doesn't know our secret coded language that we now speak to each other Sorry. fluently. <laughs> what maniac wouldn't know what that means? So that was actually not at the same time. Our conversation was had and then several hours passed before he brought mm. me the FIMP mm. rose. Is it the FIMP or the FIMP rose? <laughs> the FIMP. The Fimp? 
Oh, is it the Fimp Rose? <laughs> Whatever you like. We just call it the Fimp for short, but okay. you know, it doesn't matter. Uh, I, I want to get it right. Uh, so, yeah, we had that first conversation, and it was perfectly fine, but... I mean, I was honest in my ITM that I had subsequently. You know, I was prompted by a producer. What do you think of Juan Pablo? Like, how did it go? There was just so much buildup leading up to it. And I was like, it was fine, which it was. It wasn't bad. It was just a little dry. And I just didn't feel we were on the same wavelength. You know, there's just... I've had more scintillating first conversations with men in my life, I guess. So if it was a Yelp review, he's getting three, two and a half? Maybe, yeah, I, okay, so there's no, are there halves? Oh, yeah. Two and a half, three. Like, I don't know if I would go on a... S- I'll tell you right now, I'm not eating at that place. No, and I, I have nothing bad to say about Juan Pablo, as, as you know, and yeah. I've spoken out in his support many times since my season, but just in terms of a first impression conversation, I've, I've dated a lot in my life and had great conversations with men, and it just wasn't up there but at the same time there's cameras on you and it's you're just confused Mm -hmm. and you're nervous and there's a lot going on Mm -hmm. and you're just trying to find a flow Mm -hmm. you're trying to find some something real in it all and uh i didn't leave that conversation feeling like wow that was amazing amazing and so i said that in my itm which apparently you're not supposed to do (laughs) (laughs) foul number foul number one of many fouls yeah and then and, and it was, to me, I, I wrote it off. Like, I was pretty sure I was going home, honestly. Because the, impre- the, uh, the conversation didn't feel good to me, so I could only assume it didn't feel good to him. And mm-hmm. I figured I was most likely going home. Were you, were you somewhat relieved, or were you... Um, I mean, there's some disappointment just from, mm-hmm. like, a ego standpoint sure. and the amount of effort you put into getting to that point. But I, I, I did think, though, so when he did pull me aside for that rose... It was so out of left field for me that I was convinced that the producers had told him to do it because of the ITM I had given, if yes. that makes sense. Mm. Well, I mean, we definitely know that producers can strong arm leads into giving the Fimpros to whoever they deem necessary, especially if they're building a long, deep run in the season for whoever it might be. Mm-hmm. Rachel Lindsay on Nick Vial's season is a very good example of that. They kind yeah. of engineered her a long run because they had in mind from the very beginning that she would be the bachelorette. Mm-hmm. Um, so that might have been something that they had in mind for you as well. It's just hard. FYI. Yeah, no, and trust me. Like, so we've asked him this since. Yeah. And by the way, Juan Pablo, lovely guy. Lovely guy. I have not one single. They get bad along great when we, he's in the city. Yeah, we I, see I DM him. with him. We talk about <laughs> boxing. He's a boxing <laughs> fan. Good but guy. But we've asked him, like, were you really going to give it to me, or did they convince you? And to this day, he swears that he wanted to give it to me he was not told to do it and he has no loyalty to production i can only take his word for it but i can't help but think it was a little convenient that i had a hard time believing anyone else was going to be as honest as i was in my itm it just seemed a little uncanny that it would go to me of all people but i don't i don't know i'll, I'll maybe i'll just never know but he swears that he was gonna give it to me <laughs> <laughs> Memes are the language of this generation, I've heard it said, and I make them. I speak that language. And before I found Canva, I was taking way too long to make my memes, and my memes are not that good. But now (laughs) I have Canva Pro, and it allows me to make memes in half the time with twice the quality. I can design anything 
like a pro on literally any device. Canva Pro is a design platform that empowers you to create and share stunning content in just a few clicks. Whether you're a design professional or just getting started, designing with Canva Pro is amazingly fast and fun. Choose from thousands of professionally made templates that are easy to customize with simple drag and drop features or start from scratch. Canva Pro comes with endless premium fonts, photos, videos, and so much more that add personality and edge to whatever you're designing. My favorite Canva Pro feature is currently Schedule Social. It's called Canva Schedule. It's a social media tool that helps get you seen where you can post and engage on Facebook, LinkedIn, Pinterest, and Twitter and schedule your posts so that you don't have to time everything out perfectly and you're engaging with your audience multiple times a week. You can also set up your brand kit where you upload your logos, your fonts, and your colors, and then you apply it to all of your templates to maintain brand consistency very easily. Sharing, creating, and organizing designs as a group has never been easier. Canva Pro helps you stay on top of team projects all in one place. No more misplaced files or tedious back and forth. With Canva Pro's content planner, you'll save time planning, creating, and posting social media content too. Pause scheduled posts and edit them at any time. Design like a pro with Canva Pro. Right now, you can get a free 45-day extended trial when you use this promo code. You just go to Canva dot me slash roses and you're going to get your free 45 day extended trial that's c-a-n-v-a dot m-e slash roses canva dot me slash roses get out there make some memes everyone listening to this has something in common we've all eaten food food is a very important part of survivability, how human beings continue to <laughs> exist. And now, mm-hmm. Green Chef makes it very easy to get some of the best food on planet Earth right into your belly. You can eat immune boosting foods that you need to stay healthy and fuel a jam packed end to summer. You can choose from 30 easy to follow recipes every week with Green Chef with options for keto, paleo, and plant-powered diets, as well as meals to help you eat in a more balanced way. Green Chef's expert chefs design flavorful meals that go way beyond ordinary, no matter what's on your menu. Green Chef is the most sustainable meal kit, so you can feel great about what you're eating and how it got to your table. It's actually the only meal kit that's both plastic and carbon offset. You know what I made this week for Pace Chef Night? Sun-dried tomato Mm. flatbreads with balsamic reduction, basil, pesto, and kale salad. Pizza night goes gourmet Mm. with tonight's Mediterranean-inspired dish. Toasty flatbreads slathered in basil pesto for herbaceous depth are topped with juicy sun-dried tomatoes, fresh Roma tomato, and rich mozzarella cheese. They're baked to a melty finish, then drizzled with a tangy sweet balsamic reduction. A kale salad with red bell pepper and sunflower seeds add a garden fresh element on the side. Delicious. I love flatbread. This was like fancy flatbread. I love anything with pesto. It's the favorite. It's the best flavor. It was delicious. I like pesto. Oh, yeah. Wow. (laughs) I did not know that. Well, pesto is just one of many of Green Chef's options. Green Chef is now owned by HelloFresh. 
So now there's a wider array of meal plans to choose from. There's something for everyone. I love switching between the brands, and now Game of Roses listeners can enjoy both brands at a discount with gore. You want to get that pesto? You want to get some drizzles? Yes. You want to take your cooking to that gourmet level? Gourmet. You're going to go to greenchef.com slash roses100, and you're going to use the code roses100 to get $100 off, including free shipping. That is greenchef.com slash roses100, and use code roses100 to get $100 American dollars off, including free shipping. Green Chef. It's the number one meal kit for eating well. Did you have any idea that you were the historical significance of it, that you were the first person of color to ever get the FIMP? Was I? Oh, my God. My, I just got goosebumps. Was I? On The Bachelor, I believe in the whole franchise. Uh, yeah, no, I was not aware of that. To be honest, the whole person of color thing didn't really become a major part of my awareness I would say until the show began airing because I wouldn't say I was made to feel that way I do remember bonding with Danielle you know I'm half Asian she's half black and we kind of bonded over being half something you have some you know we were just like oh we're the you know we kind of stick out around here but not in this way where it's just I don't think it was at the forefront of the dialogue around the show at that point, honestly. Yeah. And now I think it's very different, obviously. But at the time, I don't know. I've, I've, being half anything, I've always been, I've always never looked like anyone else. I was the only half Asian person in my entire high school. And my whole life, I've not been someone's type because chances are there weren't enough of me for there to be a type built around that, if that makes sense. So I just wouldn't say that I went on to that show thinking, I look this kind of way. It's just something, it was like my reality. I don't know how else to put it. Especially living in a place like Germany. Like nothing made me feel more like a minority than living in Eastern Germany for a year, let me tell you. Oh, wow, yeah. Yeah, so The Bachelor was just sort of, it kind of paled in comparison. Things that stuck out to me more were just cultural differences, maybe me not being American, but just little things like awareness among my fellow contestants about things, <laughs> things in the world. I was just kind of flabbergasted and, or just how a couple of, of the women didn't even have passports. Like I just, mm-hmm. it was so beyond my, it, 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 I learned a lot. I learned a lot about how other people live, you know, and what they think about. Yeah, I, I assume that would kind of force you to do that with these 30 other people who are coming from you know, just kind of predominantly, at least statistically, southern United States. Yeah, different walks of life is a nice way of putting Someone it. Someone ask you how, when, what, what was the question? I, I'm going to butcher it. So what was the question you got asked about how long you had been here or when did you come here? Oh, yeah. Oof. So, yeah, I was asked by a fellow contestant how I curled my hair. And I said, oh, I use hot rollers. And she said, oh, what brand? And I said, I don't remember. I bought them when I was in China. And she said, oh, how long have you been here? (laughs) And and I was like, excuse me? (laughs) And she was like, how long have you been in America? And I was like, 
I'm from Canada. <laughs> like, I was just confused <laughs> by the question. I didn't understand. Like, it was things like that that stood out to me. It wasn't about me getting the first impression of Rose on the show. You know, it was just interactions like that where I was like, oh, I guess you think I'm born and raised in China, yeah. I suppose. Tell her to speak more slowly. Yeah. Tell her if you understand. It was things like that were really shocking to me. Yeah. So I don't know if I answered your question. Yes, but, completely. Yeah. Oh, you definitely <laughs> did. Completely. <laughs> I definitely think like the discourse around race and The Bachelor has changed a lot since that time. Yes, period. significantly. Oh, yeah. Yes. You and probably I, and you probably did you probably didn't even like think about your colorness when you were going. Yeah, on I mean the show. it was of course I was aware of it, but I wasn't thinking, Oh, I think I'm the first person who looks like this who got this far or who did this. It right. really wasn't like that. It was more when it aired the flood of feedback and just I would say support from people who looked like me or related to me, mm-hmm. that is what kind of made it more real to me, I would supp- I would say, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It was overwhelming. It sounds like an incredibly overwhelming experience. The whole thing is very I overwhelming. Don't, yeah. I don't think I could handle personally, <laughs> but... Um, you would be normal. You don't... <laughs> You don't have any dates the first week of the regular season, but you had the FIMP. Uh, you immediately apologized in your one-on-one time to Juan Pablo for being ungracious when he gave you the FIMP, uh, doing a few very powerful things in this apology, praising the process, implying that the FIMP is something to be gracious for, and praising <laughs> the first audience, reassuring Juan Pablo that you appreciate his decision. Did something prompt you to issue the apology? Um, what? Canadian. Yeah. Canadian. (laughs) It's It's just in the DNA. But I mean, like, do you have conversations with producers when you're doing your ITMs or even when it's off camera stuff? Are they kind of telling you like, oh, you need to go and tell him that you really appreciate the FIMP? No, I will say for all, everyone thinks it's so much more manipulated than it was, at least in my case. I do feel like certain things were attempted to be manipulated, but I think I, I was pretty resistant at every turn with that kind of thing. So I don't know if they just gave up (laughs) or what. But in that case, I was aware that I was a little rude. I didn't mean to be. I was just so, when he offered me the rose, I sat there and was so sure. I could see the producer I had spoken to in that ITM off in the bushes. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm staring at at Juan Pablo. In your spot. Yeah. Yeah, I'm staring at Juan Pablo and then the rose and I could see the producer and I'm kind of connecting the dots and I'm thinking, well, I don't want it Holy if you were shit. told to give it to me. Like, and I was, I was that, I'm that contestant that overthought everything and was like, the producers are the enemy and you, you were told to give that to me because I said I didn't love our conversation. I don't know if I want to play this game. And then I sat there for a while and I was like, sure. <sighs> You know, that's the conclusion I came so to. So great. And and knowing Charlene as well as I know her now and looking at her face in that video, I can vouch for every single emotion she was feeling. It was all there. Yeah. It's- I'm just, I'm, par- I'm an overthinking, I was paranoid. It's It all tracks with my personality, really. Yeah. But when I reflected on it afterwards, I've, I realized that he, he was just, really kind to me and I was really rude like it was just not how you it had nothing to do with like image or anything it's just he 
out of all these people, he had chosen me to give that rose to. And it, it was just like such a compliment. And he gave it to me in this way that was like, I don't want you to worry. I don't want you to go sit through a rose ceremony and like fret. It's you're, you're sticking around. And it was just like a nice it was a nice gesture. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I was ungracious. And I never want to be that person in life ever. And maybe it is some Canadian, mm-hmm. but I, I naturally apologize too much in my life, but I do not think that it was inappropriate to apologize for that well, you, behavior. You also felt misunderstood because your, your, your intentions were false. You thought you were being duped. If I were, 100% if, thought I was being duped. Yeah. yeah. And I don't like feeling hmm. like I'm being duped. So I felt like they were trying to outsmart me and I was therefore trying to outsmart them, just overthinking all around. Right. That's the third audience game. I think all players go through some version of that. Like, how much of this do I have to be playing against the producers? How much do I have to try and manipulate them to get them on my side so that they'll help me through this as much as possible? Yeah. It's, it's a fascinating game to us, at the very least. Yes. I, agree. I think that's arguably the most fascinating game out of the four that you discuss. Yeah. I, that's why we love it. That's why we're, like, plugged <laughs> yeah. into this thing so much. It's like we cannot stop watching. But uh, yeah. in week two... You got 15 players left and you get your first date. It's a group date. It's a soccer group date. This is like kind of a hero group date. Sometimes they give the bachelors these dates where they can show off their innate skills. And they split you guys up into teams. You wind up on the blue team with uh, Andy Dorfman, I think, is on your team. And yeah. there's a moment during this date where you guys are all pitted against one another. It's not a play for time. Everybody who's engaged in this thing is going to be going to the after party. Sometimes they'll split it down the middle. Only winners get to go. But everybody's going to get to go on your date. And you take a soccer ball off the face at one point in this uh, in this group date. And it's an ample opportunity for what we call an IFI play, injury, fear, or illness. But you don't really do it. You could have milked it. You could have laid on the ground, forced medical attention, and it would have forced oh. Juan Pablo o- over to give you some one-on-one time. But Chad, you I failed it. you. I failed you. I'm sorry. I was not. I did not play this game correctly. <laughs> no. everything wrong. Yeah. No, I mean, I am not unathletic but I'm not sporty and I really suck at soccer I'm horrible at it and I wasn't gonna let I it didn't hurt that much it was mostly a shock and I just kept going Charlene is very tough and particularly proud of injuries like she's I've seen her get scalded in the kitchen from oil like literally where there's like like three weeks later she has a scar on her arm and she's like ah crap like I would be on my knees, like in the fetal position, crying. And I have she's, a decent, she's very, very tough. A decent pain tolerance. It just, I never went into it trying. Here's the thing: I went into it with the same mentality I have in dating, which is that if they want you, they will come. And pretending to be more hurt than I am, yeah. or more injured than I am, should not affect. I don't want that to affect it. It's too authentic. Sorry. Well, your your Miss IFI definitely affects your game that week because you don't get the group date rose that goes to Nikki Farrell. And the next morning, Juan Pablo shows up to cook everyone a surprise breakfast. Now, when a bachelor barges into the mansion, hotel room, whatever, when players are asleep, when they don't expect it, we call that a home invasion. Were you at all prepared for the home invasion? How did no. that affect you? No one was prepared. It was Kelly who was awake first that day because she was walking Molly, her dog, Mm -hmm. and she was down there in their glasses, and Kelly is never seen in her glasses. And she runs upstairs, and she's like, everyone, one Pablo is here. (laughs) (laughs) And everyone's like, what? And so we were all frantically just trying to get out of our pajamas and make ourselves presentable. But no, we were not. they, They thrive on that. They thrive on not telling you shit like that. 
And they did not tell us that. We had no notice. Wow. Yeah. Much to our dismay. Yeah. I don't like surprises in general. No, you don't. We were not into that. Most of us were not. Yeah. It's shocking that you went on the show. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I don't like being on camera. So I don't far. like surprises. I don't like things that feel forced or strange. Yeah. It's like, well, that's the it, whole show. It was a different time. I was having a, a crisis in my own life and yeah. I needed adventure you know i needed something that made me learn what i who i was in a way i was so wrapped up in my career and i didn't and i was unhappy and i've talked about this before so this is nothing new but i really went on this show just trying to find myself and figure out what would make me happy and and maybe connect with other like-minded people and i just was probably a little too sincere in it all honestly even though i was a longtime watcher I don't know. I don't know what I was thinking. I was newly single. What can I say? You make weird decisions. <laughs> <laughs> what about just going on a few hikes or something or like a biking tour? Yeah, no? a few hikes. <laughs> it's funny. My ex, who I used to make watch a show with me whenever they would be like, do you want to date the next Bachelor or Bachelorette? He would jokingly cover my eyes. He'd be like, oh, la, 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 oh. during that. <laughs> and yeah foreshadowing i ended wow. up doing it <laughs> uh you get the fourth rose at the rose ceremony that week pretty good after sneaking a kiss at the pool party <laughs> then week three there's 13 players left you travel to seoul south korea you get your first one-on-one -on -one. this is a what we call a when in rome type date you go to a giant market you're dressing in traditional korean dresses eating local foods go to a tea house the day goes well, and you ITM that Juan Pablo is more fun than you expected. <laughs> and at, at the night portion, <laughs> you sing a few notes for him in a deserted public square. Had you planned no. on holding back demonstrating the opera yes. skills till that point? I, I did not just, want to do that. Just, just to vouch for Charlene, because I'm still just in case about anyone that. doesn't trust her answer. There is nothing that she was more upset about than being forced to sing opera yeah. on national TV. I'm still she upset. She still, oh, I God. think, is scarred about I, that. Yeah. She's, you can see me getting upset right now. She, yeah, she's, she's getting upset. It's like PTSD. But like to get her to sing opera anywhere uh, except an actual opera <laughs> is an incredible challenge. Well, yeah, because my... Uh, my singing is what I do, you know, it's, yeah. it's what I've been doing professionally for a long time. And I don't even sing happy birthday at a restaurant in my opera voice. No, she won't. Yeah. She's extremely modest outside of the stage. It's like I would compare it to asking like a stand up comedian if he was on the bachelor, like, oh, do some jokes for us. Like imagine yeah. how they yeah. would feel. It's very similar. But so she was very upset by that. I was. And some BTS there between the day and evening portion the executive producer who I, I would say up until week five or six was my guy. And then I feel like I got switched over to someone else because I think he was having more success with me. Again, I to talk about the against the production gameplay thing. I do think that I was challenging for them because for the first five or so episodes, I was with one executive producer. He was the one who did my ITMs on night one my one-on-one -on -one date all along the way and I meanwhile was sort of bonding more with another producer and I think that there was suddenly a switch in about week six or so where they totally moved me over to someone else but this one producer told me 
that Juan Pablo is going to want you to sing tonight. And I was like, nope. And they, I had made it clear from the get-go I didn't want to sing. And even during casting weekend in that preliminary ITM with a producer, she was like, oh, sing for us. And I was like, I don't, I'm not here to sing. I don't want to sing. And she's like, well, this isn't going to be used. It's just like for us like Ooh. to see how you interview. And I was like, okay. And so I sang a bit. And of course, that was used mm. in the promo mm. in that montage wow. where they show people doing kooky things for the show. And I was so upset by that. And, and so again, I was told that I would be asked to sing by Juan Pablo. And to this day, I mean, he really still is like this. Juan Pablo is like this. Mm -hmm. Like we've been at a party when he's like, you should sing. I'm like, no, I'm not doing that. Like, I think he thinks it's this cool thing I do, but it's, it makes me really uncomfortable to, to be that person who would do that publicly Mm -hmm. in a non opera setting. And, and so I made it clear that I would say no. And then when the time came, Juan Pablo did not drop it. He, I was near tears, honestly. They made it seem quicker than it was, but it, we probably stood there for around 15 minutes going back and forth, like, sing, no, sing, I don't want to, like, it, endlessly. So I was not warmed up, didn't want to do it, thought I would not be forced to do it, and it just, it felt like I... The evening could not progress unless I agreed to sing in this courtyard. It was really frustrating. Do you think the producers were strong-arming him to get you to do it? Because I do think that, especially what you're talking about with your kind of the nature of your relationship with the producers becoming, to some degree, adversarial. Do you think they saw that as some kind of a small victory for them if they could get you to do this thing you didn't want to do? I... So... I have thought that in the past, and that is such a you, Chad, a you way of looking at it. (laughs) But so I have thought that, okay, he wouldn't do that to me. Surely he was being strong armed into doing that to me. But actually, I don't think they were able to strong arm Juan Pablo into doing anything. And that's one of the reasons why he became the villain of his own season. I think, Mm -hmm. especially having hung out with him since and him doing the exact same thing to me in real life at a party where it would be inappropriate to break into song, I think that's just how he is. You know, I think he thinks it's this cool thing and like, why wouldn't you want everyone to hear it? Well, it's not my personality and it makes me uncomfortable, but it's sort of hard to convince someone of that. So while for a long time, Chad, I would have agreed with you, I'm not so sure. All right, fair enough. Sorry, I know that's a disappointing answer. No, no. all I want is the truth. Like, I build up these crazy schemes in my head, and I'm just like, please tell me they're not true. Please tell me they're not true. Yeah, in that case, I really do think Juan Pablo was impossible to make, to convince to do things that he didn't want to do. And I really do think producers, for their part, they might have been difficult. I don't know if it was ever adversarial, but they kind of let me do my thing for the most part, unless, like Mm. I said, I was hiding behind the invisibility cloak too much, in which case they were like, okay, Charlene, go back out there. I definitely think they were like trying different tacks with me. Like, for example, more BTS, after that one-on-one date where you have your ITM, they had three different producers talk to me to try and get the right reaction out of me. And so first it was this one producer, this executive producer, and then they switched me over to a female executive producer. And then another female producer who was more my age they kept like switch rotating producers because they wanted more emotion out of me they wanted me to say I was falling in love or whatever 
until finally they gave up and then we had to resume the next day. Do they ever in ITMs give you direct lines? Like, we need you to say, this night is perfect. Nothing could go wrong. No. No, they never fed lines. Maybe to other people, but not to me. I mean, I, like I said, I think I was difficult and they were always trying to figure out which tack would work for me under each, like in each situation. And an example I like to give is, you know, the surprise pool party, which always, often happens in episode three. I was not into that at all. And mostly because I just didn't want to be in a bathing suit on national television. I don't, again, I went on The Bachelor. I understand I'm a crazy person. But I remember a producer was like, don't you want to look back on this time and feel like you lived life to the fullest and just immersed yourself in this experience? And I could see how a lot of people would be like, you know what, you're right. I am going to whip off my clothes and like be that person, whatever. But I, my response was, okay, but I would rather look back on this time and recognize myself and know that I was really truly mm. myself and he was like touche and i honestly think that was the last time they tried that with me <laughs> They're like, she's unbreakable forget about it i'm trying to remember you at the pool party were you in like a burka <laughs> well even that was a whole <laughs> i was in a muumuu but uh it's funny even that saga was that was a bit of a saga like i was really it wasn't what i was expecting it was the first real surprise i think where i was like it was very unpleasant for me. You know, the first impression rose was a surprise, but it was a pleasant surprise. But at pool party, I was like, oh, I'm not mentally prepared for this. Like, I, I don't look like these other girls and I don't, I don't want to be, be straddling this guy's shoulders, like playing chicken or whatever in the pool. It's just not my personality. Mm-hmm. And I noticed immediately when I started getting upset about it to the point where I was kind of nearing tears, that's when a camera would not leave me alone. And so I forced myself to stop crying. Wow. Yeah. That's a fun pool party. <laughs> fun That's pool party. Sad. Party. Yeah. Party. <laughs> fun. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> uh, I, don't know, I don't know where to go from there, but we must progress. Week three then goes into your dinner at the one-on-one. You guys discuss the topic of kids, and you say you've been so career-focused that you haven't thought about kids, really. And you dated somebody with kids prior to this, and it taught you that you were not ready for them at all at this point in your life. And this extreme honesty play actually works. You're basically telling him, I don't want what you want. And he's like, here's your one-on-one rose. You get the one-on-one rose. Did you know going into the game that family building is like a major part of this show in almost every season? Like, bachelors want to start a family virtually immediately, always. (laughs) Yeah, I guess i i didn't think it through honestly (laughs) (laughs) like i said i was really lonely in germany i just was speaking in my third language and i sucked at it and i was just really unhappy and i went on this show i don't think i thought through things like this enough i'm gonna be honest you know juan pablo it was not a selling point to me that he was a dad i could get flack for saying that but it was not something that i wanted in my forever partner for them to already have a kid and I we've talked about this on our podcast recently Mm -hmm. and I think it's a very delicate topic of course I do think people who have kids or single parents can make wonderful partners and they in fact exhibit all the traits that you might want in a partner but Mm -hmm. for me it was not something I was ready for I mean it's been many years since I still don't have kids and I was just I was honest I really was and I was aware that being that honest could send me home. I also, though, was aware that we would discuss it. 
because in that interim between the day portion and evening portion, that same executive producer, the one that told me that I would be asked to sing, he also said, what do you want to talk about with Juan Pablo tonight? And then it sort of became clear that this was the direction it was going in. And then, of course, back at the hotel suite, the women were talking about how not maternal I seemed. So things like that. But that is also... For that part definitely was forced by the producers when they make the other players back at the house or the hotel have the yes. girl chats about whoever's on the one on one day they pick whatever the thing is that might be perceived as a negative and they're like tell them about that why don't you guys have a conversation about <laughs> this thing about Charlene that proves yeah. she shouldn't be getting the one on one roads yeah yeah that was still difficult to watch back honestly even though I know they get so much crueler than that it's a little weird watching people you perceive to be your friends talking about how you have no maternal instincts. And, you know, it's just a little it's something violating about the whole thing, honestly. But I realized yeah. I signed up for it, whatever. <laughs> but yeah, I was aware it would be discussed, but I was also adamant that I would be honest, which I was. And it worked. It wasn't a play, but it worked. <laughs> was it? <laughs> I, fe- I feel like I'm the... I'm such a disappointment to you guys because it, none of you guys, it goes all in this like play through this play lens. But I just, I don't know. I Hey, plays can be intentional or not. <laughs> and it's not even really about like, you know, if, I mean, obviously everything you were doing was working. We think you're a great player, but you're also one of our favorite players of all time. I don't, we have. You say that we, to all yes. your guests. <laughs> no, this is actually true. Week four, you've got 11 players left. You're in Vietnam. You're on a group date. Can you go with the flow? The day portion, you're pairing off into duos to pilot boats down a river. And Claire Crawley partners with Juan Pablo. You partner with Kelly, mother of Molly, the dog. (laughs) And at the nighttime during your one-on-one time, you ITM that you're questioning your connection. You say the iconic phrase that we assume gave rise to the title of your fantastic blog. I need to know that he sees me as a panda in a world full of brown bears. Yes. <laughs> what do you want me to when... say? <laughs> what's, what the, you want me to what's say? the question? You don't need to say anything. <laughs> I was drunk. <laughs> I was. I was super drunk when I said that. Oh, it's really? true. I mean, it is how I feel. And the backstory there is my first major boyfriend, my first boyfriend in college, he once said that about me when we met. He said, you were like a panda in a room full of brown bears. And it always stuck with me. Yeah. And I always sought to feel that way. And it's not a physical thing. It's just, you know, a je ne sais quoi that you just have for someone. And, and, I, and I said it out loud in an ITM like an idiot. <laughs> I remember saying it in a way that wasn't clip worthy. And then Alan, who was the producer I was switched over to, was like let's you know say that again in like a, in a cleaner way like he it was clear that he wanted that out of me and I was like oh, I need more wine <laughs> it, was, it was a messy night that was a rough one a long day I would like to see all the versions of that <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was a long day and and Claire I mean the whole the whole thing with Claire too ugh, that was just a lot you know we we partnered up and then Claire was left going with Juan Pablo. They made it seem like we were all jealous, oh, which right. none of us right. were, by the way. What? I remember everyone's looking like. Yeah, oh, they made it look Juan like Pablo? we were all looking over at them, which none of us were. We were just like happily paddling in our little boats. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was weird watching that episode uh, back. You're having you're you're having doubts about the Bachelor at this point. Maybe about being on the show itself. 
you probably know you're not going to wind up with him. Does How much does not wanting the vacation to end factor into what you decide to do next? At, yeah, at that point, that was such a trying day because it was very clear focused and, you know, whatever. I'm not a jealous person. It's more the disrespect of feeling like your time is being so blatantly wasted. So mm-hmm. it's like, I don't care if Claire and Juan Pablo go and make out in a hot tub for an hour, but I do care if I have to sit there and wait while, and then we have, we need eight or nine other women to also get their one-on-one time. It's just the night doesn't end until it ends. And that became the most trying part of the experience. Honestly, it was not, oh, does he like me? Do I like him? Or even just conflict with the other women, although that did start to seep into the vibe. At that point, it was more like, I'm tired. I want to yeah. go to sleep. Yeah. You're being inconvenienced. <laughs> but yeah, but beyond inconvenience, you're waiting at every turn. At every turn, there's only so many producers to go around. So every single person has to do an ITM about the same thing. Mm-hmm. So... Mm-hmm. You're taking turns doing ITMs. You're taking turns doing whatever activity, picking herbs or eating soup or getting in a in a little boat. Like it's just uh, so much waiting. And then in the evening, it was the, it, that was one of the worst nights because of just we were sitting there, being told to speculate about Claire and none. Honestly, like great if they're getting it on, but please, can't you do it after we go to sleep? <laughs> That's how we all felt about it. I love that. It's not just me. We were all just like exhausted, exhausted. And so the mood is really so soured by that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there also, of course, is that dynamic of, I think everyone who has a one-on-one date, you go from feeling really, as I said, in that ITM, really singled out and special. And then suddenly you're taking turns to do everything and just waiting around so much. It wasn't as much about him. It was more the the experience. I, that's why in my recaps, I always try to talk about the contestant experience. Like, notice how cold they are and how they're not wearing jackets. Think yeah. about what that means for their face expression. Yeah. yeah, when Charlene describes her experience on The Bachelor, it's almost always tired, cold, and horny. Those are the three <laughs> things. Yep. Yep. It's so true. I would love That's to see how that I feel as... most of my life. <laughs> <laughs> that, would, that would be a great slogan for season 26. Whoever they pick as the bachelor, that's just under their tire. <laughs> January 4th, a brand new season. Um, so the in week five, season, yes. <laughs> in week five, there's eight players left. You guys wind up in New Zealand. You get to go on this great group date where you're rolling around in these uh, giant balls with water in them. And then you even get to go have drinks in a hobbit hole in like a official production site of Lord of the Rings, which was very cool. And you wind up kind of playing a make me stay a little bit. You, you basically say like this experience is getting to me and you wind up getting the group date rose as a result of this. <laughs> and it seemed kind of like you might've already been at the point that you knew you were leaving, but you accept this rose nonetheless and it takes you into week six. You're in Miami now. So at that point, I did not yet know I was leaving, but I was definitely thinking about it quite a bit. Okay. Miami is where the decision was made, but uh, even before even my one-on-one date, but yeah. uh, my second one-on-one date. But in New Zealand, it was the the house was getting super tense, like insanely tense. I remember it, 
even back in Seoul, that we had one day off in the entire filming experience, and it was one day off in Seoul. And the, basically, the entire experience was divided into these two houses with a few people that kind of felt like we're sort of in the middle, and I was one of those people. But it was just these two houses, of, and there were like key players in each house that hated each other, and it was just a lot of negative energy. And it, it gets to you, honestly. And none of fast. Honestly, I thought that was going to be a major talking point of our season because there was mm. a lot of interpersonal drama between the women on our season. But ironically, ours was the one season where they didn't show any of it. It was all about how terrible Juan Pablo was. Mm. So, yeah, that, it was really weird watching the season back for that reason. But there was that. I was sad. At, it by the time New Zealand rolled around, Kelly, my main confidant and friend, was gone. I just was over it. You know, mm. I was tired of what being called tired and horny. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I remember a producer was trying to convince me to stay. This was a different one. Uh, Louis was like, it's going to change when you get to hometowns. You know, you don't have to be around everyone anymore, which is now mm. different. And I think they do that intentionally. But I just didn't want to be around everyone anymore. And I was being sold that when I get to hometowns, it's different. And it was more like if you get to hometowns. But at that point, I knew it was a real possibility because during travel between Vietnam and New Zealand, Alon, the executive producer, who's like my main guy again, uh, at an airport, while we were walking through an airport, he was like, so I spoke to your mom yesterday. Now we're trying to, you know, if, if you, like we're trying to talk about your hometown if that happens, and then there was discussion. That was a whole other thing. There was a lot of complications with a hometown with me. Yeah. I was so complicated. Did it sound like Every step he was talking to other players' parents as well? Yeah, he, it was never framed in this, you are getting a hometown, but it was a, I talked to your mom, like we have to maybe start discussing what your hometown could look like if it reaches that point because right. it would be in Canada which is super complicated and and at the time my dad was doing volunteer dental work in Cambodia, Cambodia. it it was really complicated my mom didn't want to be on TV if she didn't have my dad there because by the way America missed out on Charlene's mom that would have been <laughs> Fantastic yeah. television. Yeah, that's the one thing I feel a little sad about. I think my parents would have been hysterical in hysterical. a hometown date. It would have been the funniest hometown. You and your mom history. would have been hiding behind each other, <laughs> <laughs> taking turns. <laughs> totally. <laughs> it's so true. Well, but, unfortunately, we did not get to see your family because in week six, you're in Miami. We're down to the round of six. You have heavy hitters in this round Nikki Farrell, Andy Dorfman, Claire Crawley. You got two crowns and a ring in that group that you're going head to head with. And uh, you get your second one-on-one, -on -one and you ITM that you might be missing the cerebral connection. And so this one-on-one -on -one date goes off pretty well, though. You're, it's an aquatic yacht slash private island date, basically all about chemistry play. And that night at dinner, you start ITMing concern about uh, what might actually be compelling this relationship, and if there is something missing. There's no rose on this date, which is a rarity in the modern era for one-on-one -on -one dates. But you go back, and that night, you basically have made the decision to self-eliminate and you tell all the other players, hey, ladies, I'm going to get out of here. It's been great. And we get their various reactions where they're all trying to hide the fact that they're elated that one of the strongest <laughs> competitors is taking herself out of the game. And you go in and do this knock-knock uh, with Juan Pablo to self-eliminate. Was there any part of you in that moment 
that thought maybe I could stick this out a few more weeks. And also, can you go through what is that process like when you decide to leave the show? Because you obviously have to have a conversation with the producers about it. They're the ones that facilitate the knock-knock in the first place. Mm-hmm. What, how did that all go down? Well, yeah. So I was clearly on the fence for a lot of it. And in Vietnam at that rose ceremony, that ITM I did after that rose ceremony was definitely where I was fully cracking. I was gone. I was in a gown and dark lipstick and tears were running down my face. And I asked Alon for a tissue. He said no. <laughs> and oh, that was... Holy <laughs> shit. <laughs> and that was the conversation where... You know, I was fully broken and didn't want to be there anymore. And of course, they use that a lot in the previews. And so when we arrived in Miami, I made it clear I didn't want to be there anymore. And he said, and this is a rarity. I don't think they do this with almost anyone. But he did tell me that I would be getting a one-on-one the next date. And I needed to go on the one-on-one. And it was not, like, it wasn't Contractually obligated. Yeah. And that I would then, after the one-on-one... You go find one Pablo and leave. And so, I mean, I didn't mind. I mean, I liked making out with Juan Pablo and it was a great time. And honestly, the date went so well that I did start having second thoughts. This is completely true. Mm. I was just like, I was so like just confused horned. and horned. And like, horned. <laughs> <laughs> like everything you saw on TV is real. You know, it was just complicated and at that point, we had already gotten the ball rolling, and it was like basically scheduled when I would go and knock on his door, and I was like in the car after that date to the producers. I was like, "Ah, oh, guys, I'm having second thoughts," and they were like, like face palming. They were so annoyed with me. Like, who's more annoying, you or Juan Pablo? That's the question. <laughs> yeah, I think I was up there on the annoying scale. They were really annoyed with me. <laughs> so I was waffling back and forth till the very last second, but. You know, Alon was like, you, you said you wanted to do this. Do you, are, do you want to leave? And I was like, yeah, 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 I'm leaving. And no, and it really came down to, in an ITM, he said, can you picture yourself introducing Juan Pablo to your parents as a potential future husband? And I said, not without faking it. And right. so that's, based on that, I decided to leave. I, oh. I was too sincere. I mean, yeah. people yeah. don't do this anymore. Your integrity won out because Instagram wasn't really a thing yet. I'm telling yeah. you, two years later, you I know. might have you might have stuck it out and become the Bachelorette. Yeah. Uh, I feel like yeah. I don't know. Maybe I, the audience wasn't into me. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think that you need to be more popular as a contestant to be crowned Bachelorette, and of course, the edit plays a big part in that. But I yeah. I think had I gone on the show maybe five years later, it would be different. But at the time, people didn't know what to make of me, I think. And I know that because the response was very heated. Like, I couldn't, you know, you would think that when a, when a woman is mm. like, I'm not sure if I want kids right away. Nowadays, it's like, wow. But back then, it was like, get off this fucking show, you bitch. He has yeah. a kid. <laughs> like, you know, it's just really, there was a lot of vitriol. Like, how, why are you here then? It was the gist, you know? Yeah. Right. And, and this was also oh. at a time when Juan Pablo was considered like a very ethnic choice. Yes. Oh, there's also that. Yeah. yeah, that cannot be ignored, actually. Yeah. 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 So, okay, so the leaving process, I knew that it would be in the evening after, I think, Nikki's date. I think it was after Nikki's date. Yes, because the group date was the next day. And so I had that whole day to ruminate <laughs> and do, do girl chats about how I didn't know if I could do this anymore. 
and I was led to his room where I knocked on his door. And then, yeah, you, you saw what happened there. <laughs> and, oh, and I did have to go and talk to the other girls that I would be leaving, but I had already secretly told two of them. Hmm. I was so bad. I was really naughty. <laughs> <laughs> you can see why it's they really wanted to get rid of me. a picture of a producer's nightmare here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think they were a little annoyed with me a lot of the time. (laughs) (laughs) We all want to get back to normal. We all want to go out and start meeting in person again. But after the year we've all had, getting back to feeling normal can take a little bit of time. I've done a few engagements with friends out in the real Mm -hmm. world. I went to see a movie. And that was a strange experience. Indeed. I used to do this on a weekly basis. Never felt strange. Now I do it once a year, and it feels pretty strange indeed. If you're feeling overwhelmed by everything, you're not alone. It's important to find the support you need to face those feelings and move forward. We all talk to our friends when we're experiencing issues, but they don't always give the advice we need. And getting unbiased feedback, advice from a licensed professional, can actually be refreshing and rewarding. When you're in a low point, You might feel alone, but over 50% of Americans struggle with their mental health. We all need help sometimes, and asking for support when you need it is actually a sign of strength. And therapy has gone modern. The Talkspace app makes it easy to connect with your licensed therapist on your schedule without having to wait weeks before your next appointment. You can go anywhere and take your therapist with you. Talkspace works around your schedule at your convenience. Send and receive unlimited messages with your dedicated therapist in the app. You can schedule live video sessions with your licensed therapist from anywhere. Whether you're experiencing depression, anxiety, or any other problems, Talkspace is the number one online therapy platform to help you sort through any issue. They have thousands of licensed therapists available for you to match with, and they are experts in dozens of specialties including anxiety, depression, relationships, and more to help you start feeling better. You got time to send a message? You got time to receive a message? Well, now you can start feeling better with a single message. Match with a licensed therapist when you go to Talkspace.com and you're going to get $100 off your first month with that promo code ROSES. That's $100 off when you use code ROSES at Talkspace.com. Well, you turned in one of the greatest seasons i i mean for someone who self-eliminates i personally believe you had one of the greatest seasons of all time you yeah. finished with six total roses which means you do qualify for an official rose quotient you got a first impression rose you got a one-on-one date rose you got a number four a number five another one-on-one a one first flower and a group date rose that leaves you with a 1.66 rose quotient the lower your rose quotient score the better it is if you can hit zero that's perfect no one has done that in the history of the game you tie with Becca Martinez for 17th place all time on the Rose Quotient ladder. Oh. For reference, the top five Rose Quotients of all time are Caitlin Bristow with a .71, Nikki Farrell, who you played against, with a .8, Sarah Bryce, .85, Kayla Millikees has a 1, Tenley Molzan has a 1.14, and Jade Roper has a 1.16. Wow. Just to let you know. Okay. Uh, you guys are really doing God's work over there. <laughs> I don't know if it's God's work, yeah, but God. it's, it's someone's work. Uh, and then at the Women Tell All, you get a hot seat, of course. And in this hot seat, the Dark Lord himself, 
looks directly into your eyes and says you are the <laughs> most intriguing. Chris intrig- Harrison. <laughs> Sorry, Chris Harrison. We call him the Dark Lord. He <laughs> looks into your eyes and he says you're the most intriguing person that's ever been on The Bachelor. What was that like to stare into the abyss and have the abyss tell you you're the most intriguing person they have ever had on the show. I felt like he was reading a teleprompter. I didn't read into it at all. <laughs> I put zero stock into him saying that. It's, oh my god! It's my personality too to be like you say that to everyone. You don't think I'm special, and that actually I do think played into a lot of my dynamic with production during my time on the show because they would. I think they were always angling to get my trust and Mm -hmm. towards the end it became a lot more like we've never had anyone like you we think certain people who watch the show are really gonna you're really gonna resonate with them and in my journal I was all in my head like do they do they mean this or are they saying this because they know me well enough to know that that is something I would value like it was just (laughs) you know analyzing everything dimensional chess yeah going too deep going too deep so i didn't trust anyone until the very end except Elon because mm-hmm. everything he did say would happen did happen interesting he yeah. was definitely the master architect for a probably the most influential period of the game of all time it's never been the same since he left in my opinion he's a master Nor was it the same what? before he was there yeah he really solidified I believe in the modern era he solidified and crystallized the the game we know now and we're watching a little bit of it kind of deteriorate in his absence as all these a other executive bit. producers are trying to jockey for position to become the next Elon Gale, I feel like. That's, yeah. that's what it seems like to me. I mean, as someone who spoke to, you know, the, the first executive producer I w- worked with in my ITMs, and I, I now recognize that they, I think they had me pegged for some kind of special fate from the beginning because of the fact that I was with Bennett. And... You know, not anyone got to talk to Bennett in their ITMs. You know, there were also much more junior producers. And certain people Mm. were those people. Andy Dorfman was one. Nikki Farrell was one. A lot of the major players of our season from night one were not doing ITMs with rookie producers. Mm Mm-hmm. And so you could tell who were front runners based on the producer they were talking um, to? I don't, I, in retrospect, I feel that way. Mm. Now that I know more about the hierarchy between those people. But for me, it was also just who I was drawn to. I couldn't stand an ITM that opened with, so how hot does Juan Pablo look today? Mm-hmm. And I was like, ah, give me someone else, please. And, and so I was sort of like passed along and I went through this rotation <laughs> And like I said, I was switched from Bennett over to Alon, and I think it was because Alon, he was just such a master at these ITMs. Like it was, it's talent. What he does is sheer talent. Mm-hmm. It was a conversation. It, he got what he needed to get out of me. It might have taken longer, but I felt so close to him by the end of it, and I recognize that that is part of his job is to make me feel close to him, and it totally worked. It. For that to work on someone like me, I think is really impressive because I mm-hmm. went into every ITM like you're the enemy, you're the enemy, you're the enemy. Yeah. We did an interview a long time ago with the Danish casting producer or the casting producer for the Danish Bachelor. She referred to herself as the puppet master unsolicited. <laughs> wow. Just FYI. <laughs> I believe yeah. to, to some degree <laughs> that's how these producers see themselves, that they yeah. are pulling your guys' strings to try and get whatever piece of footage they need. But Yeah. No, Alon is a is a true talent. I 
I have much admiration for him, and I feel like you could almost see it instantly the second he left how the show changed. He, I felt like he really worked mm. with what he was given instead of trying to fit everything into the same round hole over and over again. Right. Are you bored, Andy? <laughs> I just want to make sure. Sorry. What? I, I just want to make sure you're still awake. <laughs> oh, I'm here. I'm, uh... <laughs> we have a couple Shandy questions at the end. We're wrapping up. <laughs> Um, but I'm, just, I'm, I'm speechless. I'm scintillated. <laughs> How did you feel to see that they had given Juan Pablo the first villain edit for a bachelor? I was not into it. He didn't deserve it. He didn't. He, I think he was difficult for reasonable reasons for the most part, sometimes maybe a little unreasonably. The best example I like to give of his difficulty was on my second one-on-one at the tail end, so this is after the private island part, we were told to go out in the water on a sort of paddleboard thing that had lights coming out of the bottom, and it was like a sponsored thing. And he didn't want to do it. He was like, we're tired. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to do this. Like, we were basically being forced to go out there and, like, make out more on this thing. And he was difficult. We did it briefly. They wanted more shots of it. And he was like, no, we're done. I don't want to do it anymore. And you can see how behaving like that probably day in and day out would not earn you I think Mm -hmm. a good edit and I think that by the end of his season they hated him yeah hated him but I to be honest all I feel like he was he was just a a, not a an actor which Mm -hmm. I I like in a lead I liked that if he didn't wasn't into a girl he didn't really pretend that he was yeah I thought his reactions Mm -hmm. were very normal they were actually a natural way yeah. to be in that situation yeah and he was painted to be this monster for not giving women a chance it's like in real life would would you have done that no no you would just be faking it and yes he made a few crucial errors but i also think that especially towards the end his edit did not help him like certain things were put in different orders and i know this because i've spoken to him about it to make him look worse than he was but I will defend Juan Pablo until the cows come home, and I I have since my time on the show. And my, my experience with him as well seems yeah. lovely. And also remember, he he was you know English is his second language, so yeah. he was doing this whole thing in his second language. It makes it's, life a little more difficult. Uh, and I, and that's the other thing. And I I wrote a long recap about this of the goat seasons, which I know you guys didn't watch that yeah. quote unquote season, but just watching his season back in twenty twenty. It's hilarious to me how he was being championed as this minority lead and from a different culture, but really there was, we never got to see any of that culture. Right. And he was, yeah. you know, he, when he did speak Spanish, it was like this novelty thing. Like, like, oh, it's so bachelor. sexy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it was, what did we get other than him making us those arepas, I'm sure I'm saying it wrong, for breakfast one day? There was mm. just nothing. And I don't think they could get away with that today. Mm. Yeah, I know I recently read that Jason Mesnick was the first Jewish bachelor and they had filmed all these scenes where he was doing some Jewish traditions and then they cut all of that Uh, completely from the season. Has interviewing ex-players on your podcast changed, shaped how you view the show? Ooh. Mm, no, it would be pretty hard to change the way I view the show after having been on the show. Uh, 
I would say certain details, like being friends with people who became leads or went on paradise, like experiences I didn't have. It sort of fleshed out an impression I already felt I had. But on our podcast, we mostly interview couples about their relationships, and it's it's less about like their edit and their experience on the show. It's more about their relationship dynamics. So I wouldn't say so much. Andy, how about you? Hmm. No, it's not. Okay. It's yeah. actually, I, it, I think it's a good place for them to really show who they are. Oh, uh, yeah. I actually think that it helps them be their own person yeah. and get out of their edit. Yeah. Yeah. I've really, really enjoyed uh, chatting with some people that on the shows, I was just like, eh. Yeah, Andy's like developed like boy and girl crushes on people that like we've had on, but before he was like, ugh, like not into it at all, and then he meets them. <laughs> I, I have like seven or eight bromances going on yeah. right now. A great example is Brian Abasolo. Wow, Brian Abasolo. Who, yeah. who are my men? I got oh, a lot Chris of men. Siegfried, you were really Chris into. Chris Siegfried, yeah. I got now um, Thomas now. He's oh, a yeah. new one. He's, he's, I'm like casual with Thomas. We're not really... <laughs> Oh yeah, we're not we're, we're not an item early yet. Stages. Really, really early. Yeah, yeah. But the Love bromance is one. real. Yeah, exactly. very early. Exactly. Possibly just a casual hookup. Not true yet. <laughs> Andy, I know you have a running bit on your podcast about wearing similar shirts every day. Did uh, you know that you share this habit with Bachelor Clues? <laughs> oh, really? What? Yeah, you, you wear, wear the same outfit the same every, shirt day. every day. Yeah, that's the you wear the same thing every day. Mm-hmm. That shirt is that a long yeah. sleeve shirt? Like, is that long yeah. sleeve? Oh, okay. So it's just it's a, a short sleeve black pocketed t shirt. Oh, I have gun like a hundred the... of them or something. What's the know. brand? Uh, Old Navy, <laughs> I guess. Okay. Whatever that, in that quotes brand that. is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people get offended by it. It's amazing. Have, have yeah. you ever gotten? I mean, I'm sure you have. Have you gotten comments about it? I mean, obviously, it's a thing oh. you've chosen. As yeah, this it's, is a it's thing more like I've an chosen. anti-choice, you know? It was right. just like at some point, I had a pack of these t-shirts. I don't know when this was, maybe in my mid-20s. And I, it just got to a point where it was like, all my other laundry was dirty, and I had these five t-shirts, and I just wore them in a single, you know, five-day period. And I was like, I think I'm just going to keep fucking doing this. And then I've never stopped doing it. Oh, so you actually do, do this outside of the podcast as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Same with my, my little uniform. Yeah. I do it to some degree as well. I, I, I find it very liberating. And I've always strived, like I really want my goal in life is to become a cartoon character. And I think this is as close as you can get in real right. life. Yeah. But let me tell you, cause, because half of our listeners are on YouTube, but we have it all on video, people, some people are offended by Andy's everyday t-shirt choice. Yeah. They're upset. This is something to be warned about. If you do go on YouTube, people will get like upset. They're like, what? I would love to see Andy's style. Like, and I'm, I don't know how to tell them this is his style. <laughs> You're seeing the style. Yeah. And by the way, I, I d- why are you hiding his style from us? Yeah. Uh, every day, every day, every occasion has a different white V-neck. By the way, it's not like I just have the same white V-necks. I have different ones. I have ones that are a little older, a little more stained, a little crisper. Yep. Some yep. with like a slightly deformed V. Some yes. with a tighter fit under the 
pits. Yeah. You know, there's a lot to consider. You have your elegant one for a Game of Roses appearance. Yeah, this, yeah, this exactly. is you got the highest end one. Yeah, yeah. Is, I literally know what you're talking about because <laughs> my black T-shirts are in a range of like the older ones are a little more faded and loose fitting, the newer ones fit a little better. They're the exact same T-shirt, but I'm like, these are the nice ones. I I literally feel that when I take them out of the dryer, I'm like, I put on a nice one today. <laughs> Oh my gosh. There's another Is person like me out there. That's so sweet. I feel so welcome on earth now. Lizzie, we're watching such a bonding right now. Amazing. I know. <laughs> this and the real world. And- no, I can't tell you because when I have that thought, sometimes I have kind of the objective idea that I'm insane. I'm like, no one else thinks this is crazy. This is not a nice T-shirt, but I'll, that'll flash through my mind. And I'm like, you're crazy, dude. It's a, it's the same as all the others. But now I know there's someone else who, who feels wow. it too. I I'm, feel spe- I'm speechless. Okay. I'm actually yeah. speechless. So the real question is, when a T-shirt becomes too ratty to be worn, what fate? What What is its fate? For me, it's just the trash can. Oh, see. Oh, see, Andy takes it to the next level. It I'm becomes, a little more eco-conscious. It becomes a rag. Yeah, for this, the, nice. the next, yeah, I, I clean the entire floor with it, and then and then and then it becomes a bathroom rag, and then it becomes garbage. Yeah, interesting. So there's an evolution of the degradation. Yeah. yeah, I've contemplated turning them into torches, like wrapping them around a stick and then turning them, but that's a little too much. <laughs> a final effigy. Oh Jesus Christ, that's hilarious. <laughs> I I really I can I can't overstate enough how like happy i am to hear this about you I, I, Aww. this is cute i i didn't want to be the only one in the world who did this it's not it's not i didn't make me feel no great. you guys and steve jobs yeah i think there's plenty of people who do this i think it's a a very kind of secretive subculture within the american population but uh, or maybe even global population but okay. speaking Jeff of has suggested i do it but i'm like it's different for men and women. <laughs> yeah. And I enjoy when you do it. It's process. like eccentric genius. If yeah. I do it, they're like, Ugh. yeah, yeah. What's wrong with you? What the hell is wrong with you? Oh God! Even in your case, it's what the hell? Yeah, I got a little hate. Yeah. Well, we just have one kind of final question for you guys. We thank you so much for your time and doing this. Has been fantastic. Yeah. But We've I'm curious about, uh, you know, having been through the biggest reality franchise in the world. Now, Andy, you're married to one of the biggest players of all time, one of the most iconic, influential players. <laughs> what do you think about reality television, its place in American pop culture, or even global pop culture in an era where we just had a reality TV show host as president? And where do you think social media is headed in the next 10 to 20 Oof. years? Okay, give me like 30 minutes. I'll be right back with a great <laughs> answer. Okay. Well, th- this is what I will say. When I and, and this is this is going to be a negative spin, but when I first saw the real world on MTV, I had this existential dread that this was the beginning of the end of something. I don't know if it was the beginning of the end of America or American culture, but I found that when we started actually watching people just do regular stuff, we all became kind of voyeurs. Like, it's kind of like a a very rich man's version of just having a telescope and looking in people's apartments, right? Mm -hmm. Kind of like Mm -hmm. living in a city. Is it that much different? Not really. Yeah, it's voyeurism, right? Yeah. But I felt like the reality reality TV seemed to 
me to be sort of somewhat of a death knell of American culture. But when it became married with social media, which I feel is without a doubt the death knell of American culture and possibly humans. I've discussed this before. Yes, we, we talk about this all the time. I feel like um, it's... I feel like, to be honest, reality TV for me has now taken a big backseat to social media. I feel like social media is going to find its place one day, but we're going to have to go through a really, really, really rough time getting there. Um, the growing pains, you've seen them with the election and you've seen them with, you know, isolation and mental illness and all this stuff. And it's being exacerbated by this engine of isolation. Right. Isn't mm-hmm. that what it essentially is? It's yeah. forcing you to just live life from a very small place, thinking that you're part of this much bigger thing, but you're really not. I find it to be incredibly destructive, social media. Yeah. We fall in the camp of if we ever did have a kid, that kid would not be getting social media <laughs> until they would. No, I don't know, maybe I would want to keep it away. I would want to do like the, you know, that movie Blast in the Past with Brendan Fraser. Where they, they keep their... You put them in a bunker. You put them in a bunker. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, I don't want, I don't want any of it. But um, I do think that there was a time when I, was, when I was a young man, a young a boy, when people who were, for lack of a better word, insane, um, wouldn't be given the time. Mm. But now when you have an enormous amount of people with similar insanities joining forces they become a force of nature Mm. and i think that's incredibly dangerous aside from the obvious sort of anti-social and um culturally degrading elements of social media that being said i love some reality tv whereas i hated it when i was a kid i like temptation island Mm -hmm. i think it's great yeah and i think there's a place for reality tv and i have actually started to enjoy the bachelor franchise This past yeah. bachelor. Yeah. Is, is that the answer you were expecting? <laughs> no, everybody has a different answer I, to this. It's it's always interesting for me to hear. I assumed you had started to like it since you guys have started recapping it. Oh yeah, can't well, be yeah. that much torture. Katie's no. was his first season from beginning to end to have watched, and that's including my season, by the way. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, you didn't even watch all of my season. You just watched my scenes. I fast forwarded to your scenes. Yeah. 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 Actually, fun fact, we've never revealed this. Andy saw me on TV before he ever met me. It was very strange. I was watching the news, NBC Nightly News, as I often do. And after the news comes, I believe, E! Entertainment. Okay. Is that an NBC one thing? Of those. It's one of them. It's the Entertainment Weekly or E! or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so they were like, oh, so, so-and-so breaks reality TV. And I was like, oh, that's I ordinarily I would have turned the TV off. But I was like, oh, that sounds really interesting. I want to see this person who breaks reality TV. And it was Charlene, who I didn't know was Charlene at the time, um, saying, sure. You know, there's the whole final first impression rose with Juan Pablo. It was that scene, how she kind of she didn't do the thing she was supposed to do, which was to graciously, graciously accept the rose. We, we discovered this well into our relationship. So I saw that and I remember ordinarily I just wouldn't have paid attention. But I was like, I remember looking at her and being like, this is really interesting. And I, I was watching. I was like, is she bullshitting and trying to make drama or is this a real reaction? 
And I kind of, at the time, leaned a little bit towards the former. I actually thought she was trying to create this impression that she didn't care. Wow. <laughs> you can see that's why we're married. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's really interesting. So the anal the analyzing, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> we're very well suited to so each I other. So I didn't I didn't know until months into our relationship, I suddenly remembered. Mm -hmm. It's like, wow, you were that girl. Yeah. But yeah, reality TV, we don't mind it too much. <laughs> no, I actually to want you to question. strike that whole answer. That was way too dark. <laughs> no, I think it's it's no. I we yeah we are far more anti social media yeah. than anti reality TV. I would say those are they're two separate things. I think social media mm -hmm. I find just to be awful and and has mm -hmm. a lot of destructive qualities, and I fear for everyone. I don't think the human race was ever meant to be one giant seven and a half billion person community. I think that's a little dangerous. But um, I do think that reality TV is getting better. I think there's a lot to be said there. I think Survivor is a good show. Well, yeah. Also, my little sister is a producer on Survivor, so I'm very pro-Survivor. And, yeah. and in general. What? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm back. That. I watch Survivor every season. I'm yeah. a big Survivor fan. But how do you guys feel about reality TV? Oh, <laughs> it's taken over our lives. Yeah, it has taken over our lives and drug us into this pit. I view all this stuff kind of differently. I think like I don't think social media is necessarily detrimental to the human race. I don't think we even have a choice. It's it's basically like in my mind, we're in the kind of stutter steps of uploading into a purely digital existence and the ability of, for us to translate our thoughts and feelings into like an Instagram post or a tweet or a TikTok. It's like, it's very inefficient, very shitty. But eventually when we get things like, you know, bio interfaces, like what Elon Musk is doing with Neuralink, it's going to be uploading your thoughts into the internet and other people can feel and think what you're feeling and thinking. And I think we're just, unfortunately, it's like, you know, the first cars that were ever built were fucking terrible compared to the Ferraris we got today. Eventually, right. whatever social media platforms we have 20, 30 years from now are going to make the stuff we have now look insanely antiquated even like we were talking about with friendster it's like that <laughs> seems like a joke now compared yeah. to tiktok and mm -hmm. that's only going to keep increasing and the speed at which it increases is going to become insane in the next 10 years with things like quantum computing and just everything that's going on basically with ai and all that kind of stuff so for and for me reality tv is kind of the the precursor to social media i see them as kind of like very similarly linked um but I just think it's not like it's clearly not slowing down. It's speeding no, up. No, sadly. And so I, I fully embrace it because I feel like there's no other choice. That's pace, a good pace. attitude. It's a good attitude. Yeah, it is a good attitude. <laughs> He's a little more optimistic than you, it yeah. seems, in general. I still love life. Doesn't mean I can't, <laughs> yeah. I can't hate social media. I still and love have, life. Yeah, I mean, still, ultimately, like I truly still think. like the ride. The, the end version of social media is like what we have now. I agree with what you're saying. It is an isolating experience because you have the ability to still deceive people on social media. I think eventually the best version of it delivers pure empathy to everyone who's a part of it because it's not let me fire off this shitty trolley tweet. It's going to be let me tell you how I really feel, but I'm not even telling you. I'm like, let me give you the experience of feeling what I feel. Okay, I but, think that's coming. But that the experience of giving someone else how how you're really feeling is that not in some way performative like you're doing it for the feedback of let's say empathy or whatever that's my concern is that element of sharing for the feedback mm -hmm. 
Totally. And I think in the beginning it's going to be like that. But I don't know if you guys have seen Bo Burnham's special Inside. I would argue that that is like, Ooh, it's an almost very good. It's Ooh. very good. It's almost a perfect example of how you can be performative but sincere simultaneously. He's putting on like a masterwork of a piece of art that lets you into exactly what he was feeling during the pandemic. But it's like obviously performative. He wants people to look at it and he's even aware of that and talks about that in it. But I think it's, um, you're just going to see new art forms coming out of it. Every time new art emerges, it's because new technology emerges. You had to have the electric guitar invented before there was rock and roll, you know. And that is true of like literally every piece of art, every art form that's ever existed. And so I think as new social media becomes available, as new technologies emerge, we're going to see whole new forms of art that we can't even fathom right now. Hmm. I agree with that. I kind of. But but, but I what about like the I children? I identify more with Andy on like <laughs> the negative aspect of it. Yeah. <laughs> of Fair. Like the collective, you know, all of the white supremacists finding each other and mm-hmm. things like that are, are not good. And it, to me, it feels like that's going to outweigh the the art that's created, but yeah. time will tell. <laughs> I mean, put it this way. Would you rather have a kid who was living in the 80s or would you rather have a kid who was living in the 2020s? That's your kid. Which one do you want? Am I white? <laughs> <laughs> you are a mixture of many <laughs> colors. I'm mixed. You're mixed. You're mixed know. race. That's tougher. Yeah, definitely the 80s. No no screens. I mean, I just, I mean, I really identified, Charlene, with what you said recently about never having recorded an episode that didn't offend people. And I'm like, when I, we now have a lovely employee, Grace Ann, who is running our social media. And, but when I was reading all of the direct feedback, it would, it would just ruin my days, mm-hmm. like all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was not. Not built for it. <laughs> I've, I feel you. And it's amazing how you can try to cover your bases and, and edit things. And, and, but then you end up with a sort of watered down product. And it's this fine line of trying to make everybody happy while at yeah. the same time knowing how impossible that is. It's, I think yeah. that you know, the podcast, uh, I don't know what's the word for it. The medium mm-hmm. is so intimate. And it's just sort of, it's hard to keep track. Like sometimes the things people are offended by, I can't believe it. Like during editing, I would have focused on this other thing. And I'm like, oh, I'm mm-hmm. going to, I'm not sure. If I'll, I'll be obsessing over the wrong thing. And then suddenly something comes out and everyone loses it over something else. And I, it's just like, in that story, I said, it's like whack-a-mole. Like you can't keep up mm-hmm. and you have to have really thick skin. I feel yeah. like. Can't make all the people happy yeah. all the time. No, he's good. F- he's good for me in that sense. Like he's like, ah, eh, whatever. And I'm like, <laughs> 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 it's good to have both sides. Of yeah. the- I relate to you yeah. in that it will easily ruin my day. Like one even semi nasty comment ru- completely ruins my day. I, mean, I wish I were less like that. It's incredible. We could have like, oh, me too. <laughs> a thousand great comments and one does it well okay so that's a good question for you lizzie if you get a thousand great comments and one really really nasty comment do you cry over the nasty comment yes yeah. I d- it doesn't matter how many positive ones there are oh wow yeah <laughs> it's so bad. we get tons of positive oh. tons of positive but it's just i'm not built for it i relate to we're the same we're the same and you'll be like look at the thousand positive ones and i'm like that's nice and all yeah but 
That's Chad. It always. <laughs> oh, oh, that's cute. You guys balance each other out. That's a similar dynamic. <laughs> we try. You got the shirts. You got the crying over bad comments. Yeah. Yeah. And the irony is, I imagine, Chad, you're probably the one to offend more people. Of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah, because Andy's the one who offends more people, and I'm the one that gets upset about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I always feel terrible about it, because I'm like, I know that I'm now going to be dragging Lizzie into whatever bullshit I'm stirring up, and I never want that to be the case, you know? Yeah. Uh, but you want to be honest. Above yeah, all exactly. Else. Yeah. And look at this product you've created. Look at this. I mean, this ha- you guys are very popular, let You're me good. just say. We've been asked so many times to go on yours, to have you on ours, yeah. to just t- watch Aww. yours. People are, some people are just, you should just watch Game of Roses. Or listen. Well, or listen. maybe watch soon. We're watching now. <laughs> yeah, we cannot thank you enough for coming on today. This has yeah. been absolutely incredible for spending all this time with us, answering all of our questions, letting us behind the scenes Seriously. of Historic Season 18. And if we can ever return the favor, we'd be more than happy to because we love your podcasts and and everything that you guys are doing, too. Oh, Oh, thank you so much. This was was an honor. No bullshit. One of my favorite players ever. Yeah, for real. Me, too. Me, too. That's very sweet of you. I share that with Dark Lord, or at least the Dark Lord's teleprompter. I think you're one of the most intriguing players who was ever in the game as well. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Dark Lord's teleprompter. If you're ever in New York, either of you or together, seriously, come over and we'll recap together. Yeah. I mean it. Absolutely. The Dark Seeker has oh, just put awesome. uh, in our chat that you're also her favorite as well. Oh, Dark Grace Seeker is Grace Ann Parks. <laughs> Thanks, Grace Ann. I'm Aww. touched. You guys are sweet. <laughs> I, don't, I feel undeserving. Like a lot of the hype with you, with you guys, people are like, you have to go in Game of Roses. They have all these theories about if you hadn't left, what would have happened? And I was a little intimidated. I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to live up to like, the player <laughs> status. I don't know if it was that. I think you lived. No, you, you've absolutely lived up to and exceeded any expectations yeah. we had. And uh, everybody should go check out Dear Shandy. The podcast is awesome. And is there anything else you guys want to tell people to go check out? Promote. It's pretty much Dear Shandy. We're putting yeah. it all on Dear Shandy Dear these Shandy, days. Baby. But yeah, we recap the show. And that's been very popular. Yeah. And yeah, we interview bachelor couples and we talk relationships and give relationship advice. And we have callers on. Yeah. From the perspective of a happily married couple. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, Dear Shandy. Thanks, guys. That's sweet of you. Well, thank you so much. Nice. Everybody go check out Dear Shandy. And thanks for joining us. Thank, thank you, guys. you, guys. Have a good weekend. All right. Thank you all. Bye. Thank you, everybody, for joining us for that almost two-hour-long conversation with Charlene and her husband, Andy. It sincerely was one of the highest highlights for both Pace Case and I of the past two years that we've been doing this show. We really hope you enjoyed it. And again, thanks go out to Charlene and her husband, Andy, for spending so much time with us and breaking down all these behind the scenes things and talking about where the future of the internet is going and social media and all the things we discussed. It was a true pleasure. Thank you once again. Please rate this podcast. Please review this podcast. Please get a friend to listen to us. And then please rate this podcast. Please review this podcast. Please get a friend to listen to us. And then please rate this podcast. Please review this podcast. Please get a friend to listen to us and then.
Now, you've heard me talk about quince on this program before. I love quince. I am right now, head to toe, dressed in quince. I got their shirts. I got their pants. I got everything from quince. Quince is my spot for quiet luxury without paying those luxury prices. Quince offers a range of must-have items like 100% European linen, under $50, luxurious mulberry silk skirts, and of course, Italian leather bags and 14 karat gold jewelry from, get this, $30. All their prices are 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And because Quince creates timeless classic styles that won't go out of fashion, you're going to have them in that closet forever, unless you wear them out, which I may because I literally wear them every day. I know you're wondering, how do they do it? Well, Quince partners directly with top factories to cut out the cost of the middleman, passing the savings right on to you and to me. What's even better, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium eco-friendly fabrics and finishes so you can feel good about getting high-quality items that are going to last you longer. Upgrade your closet this summer with Quince. Right now, go to quince.com slash roses to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince, Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash roses for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash roses. We're coming out of spring and we're headed into summer. It's a great time of year. It's a time for renewal. For me, that means reconnecting with friends and family I haven't seen for a while. And when I do, I want to make sure I have plenty of wine on hand to celebrate with. That's why First Leaf is a great option. As America's most personalized wine company, First Leaf takes the worry and guesswork out of buying quality wines, especially if you're somebody like me who knows maybe a little bit about these things, but not enough, not enough to really make a great decision. They make the decision for you. To get started, you just answer some specific questions about your wine likes and dislikes on First Leaf's website. And these can be things that are about the people you're buying it for as well, if you're doing it as a gift. It only takes about five minutes to create your own personalized wine profile. Then you get your very own wine concierge who's going to use those responses to curate a customized selection of delicious award-winning varieties from rosés to sparklings and everything in between. It's all based on your personal preferences on those questions you answered. These hand-selected wines are going to be delivered to your door within a few days with each bottle priced lower than what you'd pay at a wine store. You even get to choose when you get the wine. Plus, Every selection is backed by First Leaf's 100% satisfaction guarantee. And if you have questions about your wines, like what to pair them with, for example, First Leaf's personal wine concierge team is there to offer that expert advice. So it takes all the guesswork out. I love reconnecting with friends and family over bottles of First Leaf wine, and I bet you'll feel that way too. So give First Leaf a try. Head over to tryfirstleaf.com slash roses to sign up and save 50% on your first six hand curated bottles plus free shipping. That's T-R-Y. F-I-R-S-T-L-E-A-F dot com slash roses to save 50% on your first six bottles plus free shipping. Try firstleaf.com slash roses. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. 
The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.